<laughs> How are you, man? I'm doing good. How about yourself? Ah, not too bad. Not too bad. Just chilling, doing some music. Thank you, and thank you so much for inviting me onto your uh, uh, podcast. Oh, uh, man. You know, quite the esteemed list of individuals you've uh, talked to. So I yeah. feel like I'm the odd man out. Ah, <laughs> oh, hey, come on, come on. Uh, yeah, the guy, I've had a few people actually. It was f- funny. My one of my friends is coming on. We, I talked to one of my friends and he, I said, hey, will you come on my podcast? Because uh, we've worked together. And he's like, wait till after the Grammys. Because he, he, his album that he was work, he was produced got nominated for Best Folk Album. And they won last night. Oh, so was, wow. That's going to be a good podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm so, ha- I'm so happy for him. Like, you know, he's, um, you know, hard work. I, I, I text him. I said, hard work pays off, man. You know? And, yeah, uh, and then think, even even in the body of being judged by others, you know, and and for awards, and then getting into even into that circle of the conversation is absolutely um, hard. It's brutal. Um, it's you know, if you make it all the way through, especially if it's an organic plow. In other words, a new band or based on virtues that are not what I would consider pop culture award right ceremony because right. you know there's two ceremonies right so right yeah. there's the one you see on tv and then there's the one that you know they have a buffet and <laughs> yeah. uh, i don't and i don't mean to say that to take away from it but yeah you know even the academy awards has that as well there's the ones that they're going to present to the public and yeah. then the one for the best toenail clippings you know for makeup artists is going to go over here you know so yeah i i always i always hate that about awards are like you know a lot of the people who are cinematographers and stuff like that, they don't get higher up. So like the actors are the main thing. It's like, dude, without these, you know, because, you know, a movie can die in the editing for sure. Oh, absolutely. Like, are you kidding me? You know, so there's there's a lot to it just more than, I think, than people kind of realize. They just think, oh, the actors and, you know. that's Well, that's, it is about the show. It's yeah. about the big show. It's about the advertisers. It's about the show, who's going to watch and, and, as long as people such as ourselves understand and realize that, then we can still be just as happy and stoked for those who win the awards that are off the show, you know, meaning didn't make the uh, primetime cut, yeah. but they're in their other awards. We could just, it's still badass to hold the pick, you know, the, the award, take the picture. And now the good thing is, is that at least with social media, opposed to, you know, back in the, back, back in the 1900s, um, <laughs> um, you know, now now you can take that Academy Award or that Grammy or that Golden Globe that maybe you didn't get on public and be able to do your own thank you video and stuff. And still, if 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 bringing awareness to that uh, division and stuff can now really happen at a much stronger pace because of the abilities that we have to do what we're doing here. Whatever yeah, the case. for sure. It's it's crazy. I know. I think Google were spying on me because when I was I was texting my friend, going, "Oh, I'm so happy." You think? Yeah, I think afterwards I get this pop up <laughs> on the, I don't know what it, it must have been. It was something maybe Instagram or somewhere I don't know, but it was like eight artists who never won a Grammy. I was like, "Whoa, were they spying on me?" So I checked it out, and I was like, "How have the Beach Boys, ABBA, <laughs> and Queen never won a Grammy?" I'm like, "What's going on here, man? It's crazy." I couldn't believe it. It's I was crazy. like, "Diana Ross never won a." I was like, "Whoa, Snoop Dogg, crazy." It's crazy. Yeah, it is. It is. My brother won an Academy Award or was on the team that won an Academy Award as a director and stuff, but it was for a, a short. Oh, wow. So when he, he he didn't get to go up and get it. I mean, they only allowed the director to come up for half a minute. Uh, OK, OK. But at least he was able to take the picture and hold it. And, you know, <laughs> it, it's not BS. You know, you can see the creds and everything. But at least once again, because of social media, he was able to 
hold the Oscar, take his pictures, and just you know get on with his life and stuff. But you know, so was we're that on the inside. Was, was that this year? Was that this year? No, no, no that had to have been two thousand seven or eight. It's on. It the, the name of the movie was West Bank Story. It was okay. a musical kind of offset of West Side Story, right? Except between Jerusalem and and. Um, Palestine, and it was, it was a love story. It was oh, short, I get it. Really yeah. fun, really super clever, but it was musical, obviously, off of West Side Story, except they spun it. And yeah. my brother was the choreographer, and the whole, you know, everything had to do with the musical oh. aspect of it um, uh, in performance wise. So, did they send it was, them, good, it was a good win for him. Did they send him one of the statues? Or did, no, no, oh, it man. was really, it was, yeah, it was really for the director, I guess, you know, um, I, I don't know exactly how it was presented as just the best festival short so if the producer just got it or the director just got it but you know for a festival short or or for a short you know that team that production team is really small mm. you know so in in all, all in all everybody set dressers production design costuming you know they all rub the top of the head you know it's like, hey, <laughs> yeah. won, and then you know onward with life and stuff like that but um you know that's pretty still pretty heavy solid achievement for uh, for my brother so we were stoked we got a picture and on that's, with life <laughs> that's cool man that's cool so how, how's uh, all how's all in hawaii i've i man that's like the bucket list thing hawaii i was like hawaii <laughs> and alaska i know they're com opposites but i oh hawaii and alaska always were my funny enough though as opposite as there are there is kind of a freight train of of hawaiian folks that live here in hawaii that go to alaska oh, all right that's like that's like if people from Hawaii are going to take that trip to like go to the other polar opposite of environment, okay. <laughs> okay, go over there. It's still the United States and it's fishing and it's water and, you know, that kind of stuff. And the cruises, you know, pre-pandemic cruises and stuff. So there is a relationship there. Hawaii's fine. It's, it's kind of cloudy and yucky. I mean, for Hawaii, I mean, I can't, I'm not going to, you know, complain. I said, "Oh, it's so cold right now. It's sixty-two degrees." You're like going, "Bruh, yeah, I live in <laughs> Ireland, man." <laughs> yeah, that's a summer. That's that's a that's a wonderful summer. But everything's fine here. You know, it's just, um, you know, we all have in our pockets of the world our challenges and stuff. So Hawaii's Hawaii, as the world knows it. The palm trees, the beaches, and all that. But mm -hmm. you know, living here still has its uh, economic challenges and stuff. But yeah, but all, all's good. I'm okay. I'm you, okay. That's do you, here. Do you surf a lot? Yeah, as a matter of fact, um, surfing probably derailed my life as a composer. <laughs> if you ask my dad, <laughs> really, <laughs> surfing girls and buds when I was younger, you know what I right, mean? Right, like, right, right. Get high, I got girls, and I'm going surfing. What the else trifecta. does a man need? For God's sake, you know? <laughs> trifecta of life. <laughs> God, you know, for the win. But um, yeah, no, I surfed all the way up until my my um, shoulder injury up in uh, it was August. I just got through with rotator cuff surgery, Ooh. so I'm kind of on the mend. Ooh. So it's kind of a pain in the ass. I won't be able to get in the water until July, they say. Yeah. And I mean, that's just a swim. And before I go paddle back out and start taking a beating out here, it's probably going to be not till September. So I'm on a slow recovery. But yeah, my whole life has always been about the water, surfing. Um, even my pivot in my professional career in 2001 or two was based on quality of life. What do I really love to do? Well, I'm going to move to Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah and, yeah, yeah. and, and I had enough clients musically that I was able to kind of keep certain things going. But the, but the super lucky thing was as technology pushed through mm. from 1999, let's say to 2005 and six, 
I found that I could still do the work that I was doing, though still kind of challenging over the internet. And then of course, transition, transitioning to today's day and age where it's a no brainer. I scored a film about a year and a half ago without even meeting the directors. We did the spotting session on Zoom, you know, sending files back and forth. Nice talking to you, you know, check cleared, <laughs> have a nice day. You know? Yeah, it's mad. It's mad. Um... Doing, I did an orchestra for the album I've been working on for God knows how long now, but uh, we did it on, online from Macedonia. And you're just like, you know, they've got, yeah, they've got your score. And you're just saying, you know, can you change that and change that and shit? Amazing. Like, That's great. I know. You could never That's do that just, years ago. No, I mean, you know, I grew up with, um, you know, my father, um, his, his success was tremendous in the music industry. And, you know, pencil, all pencil to paper. And, um, all the way up till, you know, he passed away in 2012, but he was working till about 2010. And the last two jobs, you know, he, it's really funny. He would work out and mock up his writings on his um, um, Cubase. All right. But then write pencil to paper for the copyist because he hated Sibelius. He hated all that other crap he had to do. He says, screw it. <laughs> so he'd write his charts out and his copyist knew his handwriting. It's almost like, you know, stenographer. Yeah, you know, yeah, some yeah, of us yeah. don't have the best. Yeah. you know writing and and then they flew him up to prague of course everybody knows about you know the prague uh orchestral you know, deals that, that for the last 20 years have been can't do it in hollywood come out in prague we love you you know kind of a thing and um so you know that that was the unique blend between my father and technology and and writing you know he would he would drop you know he would sit there and play the parts out on his proteus or or whatever it is, he decided to call up through his old system and stuff. And yeah. he'd go, okay, that sounds good. Okay, now it's time to just do this. And he could do it so fast that by the time, even if he got good at Sibelius or something of that nature, for him, it was just fun. That right. was just, it was in his elbow. I'm writing it all out. It's real simple. Oh, shit. There goes a whole page. You just wrote that. It would have taken me, <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> and then, of course, his copyist would bust him every once in a while on a, you know. Uh, George, is that a natural or is that flat in there? Oh yeah, you're right. Okay, cool. <laughs> That's so cool, you know, man. yeah, it's 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 an old forgotten. Uh, at least in the world that I survive in, in composing, it it just you know I don't get the calls for the live orchestral works and stuff like that. I've positioned my life in a very unique way. So, um, but I do miss I do miss the days of you know going to my dad's sessions and and reading over you know the the master wow. uh, charts of his and stuff or when he did movies and stuff and being able to hang out there and, and just that energy. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, but once he passed away, that was it. Cause he was, he was one of the last composers. And when I say the last, maybe the last 25, 30 that had made a living from the fifties all the way till he passed away writing, you know, string charts for obscure artists all the way to Michael Jackson or Sinead O'Connor or Toby Keith or, wow. or, you know, artists and, you know, back in the days that already worked together with his friend, Lalo Schifrin, and him, you know, both of them, Lalo would do a bunch of stuff in the sixties when Lalo was blowing up, you know, with Enter the Dragon and all the films he was doing so and good. so on and so forth and Mannix and Mission Impossible. And he called my dad and, oh shit, I'm real busy. Can you hurry up and, you know, help me with this kind of stuff. So it's, you know, I'm I'm pleased to be at my age, be able to look at back at the 1900s, crossing <laughs> over to this, and then as well as you know, being a part of the conversation, and you know, young composers that want to come up, or young hobbyist composers that want to come up, yeah. or 
or people who are just, you know, they got, you know, a, a two octave controller and they bought the bundle from, you know, that came along with, uh, you know, the focus, right. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're just having fun. You know, I'm all for that. I'm like, okay, fine. I, you know, as a matter of fact, the new series I just started on my channel is so you want to be a composer, huh? <laughs> it and, sounds and cool, it, man. Well, I'm just, well, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to break down. Okay. This is this, this is this, this is this. Have fun. It'll be a lot, you know, a lot more lighthearted. Yeah. But, you know, there, because of technology, there's a lot of people who at least maybe want to just test the water. Yeah. 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 You know, and then once they realize when they say, well, I got this really great piece of music, I think it'll be great in a, in a film. And I listen to it. I go, you know what? It is possible. This is a piece of music that I could see in film. And maybe during a tense, you know, um, laboratory scene or something like that. That, yeah. Okay. That's great. Now we have another 62 minutes to score. Are you ready? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's that kind of a thing, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. I'm, little... I'll have fun with them. I always want to motivate. Yeah. It's good, like, pass on knowledge. Cause, like, you know, when I was a kid, we didn't really have YouTube. So you couldn't really, you know, you kind of had to, which in a, in a good way, I think I've had conversations with many people about this. I think YouTube is great and all, but I think as much as all it gives us, we're taken away from social media, a part of us, because we have ADHD with everything. I, I definitely don't learn as much piano as I used to because I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, I could do this and do that and do that. And I think uh, there's, there's almost an infinite amount you can learn through YouTube. But at the same time, it can kind of, I think social media and the internet takes away from our actual uh, attention span. That's what I think anyways. I could be wrong, but I, I think it, it, there's always something good with something bad and vice versa. Absolutely. Uh, you know, we're in uncharted territories. I mean, yeah. we've all, I'm, you know, I feel like the Obi-Wan Kenobi in the cave, but I still, <laughs> but I still know how to get Wi-Fi. You know what I mean? I, I, it's like... <laughs> These are not the key chord charts you're looking for. Yeah, yeah. You know, whatever, you know? <laughs> but that, but the thing is, is that for me, um, it it is really wonderful to watch this transition. Yeah. Of you know technology, musicians, education, whatever it is, and just be a part of something that is, you know, back when my grandparents, a TV and a radio showed up, and then there was 25 years of programming. Internet no, shows up and every no, I, third day something new is popping up, popping out and testing our abilities as humans to be attentive. Yeah. We're getting the energy life source sucked out of us, you know, depending on what our mindset is and what we allow to, you know, to get absorbed or we, what we put out. But at least for the arts, mm. what's been great for me is just to watch people um, take the step that they feel that they can do it like oh now i can learn how to you know play my clarinet or or now i can now i can play my clarinet to a guitar backing track yeah 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 yeah, yeah. you know and stuff like that if if it means that you're not I'm, I'm about i'm about to release a video i think this week on my main channel uh about you know why did you quit playing music and you know in most cases it's it's act of god if you will Something happened in life. Somebody passed away. You became the father instead of the son because of you had to take on responsibilities or mm -hmm. financial things happen. And in the meantime, you've got your clarinet, your oboe, bassoon, your guitar, your drums sitting in the corner collecting dust. You know, what is it that's stopping you from at least taking 15 minutes and dusting it all off, maybe popping you read on there or, you know, whatever it is and just come from here. Yeah. I believe that's what social media and stuff 
and maybe I'm just wishful thinking, but you know, uh, said the right way can motivate people to do physical things. Yeah. Outside of, you know, just watching everybody talk story about opinions and stuff. Yeah. You know, so yeah. Kind of hopeful with that, you know, but yeah. But yeah. yeah. That, that's the, that's the cool kind of thing about, about music is like, you can get, um, it's like it's like there's no better feeling just than getting lost in when you're like playing music or writing a piece. It's like it's like when you're out, in the, you know, when you're out in the ocean on the on your board and you're just sitting there and it's just like peace, man. Just that peace. You I could not have put it any better. Yeah. And, and the thing is, too, especially if if you don't have, I guess, the luck that I do that I could you know go surf and just that there's my peace of mind there, um, or walk outside in your house and a nice walk and take you know just be able to breathe about that 15 minutes that you pick up the instruments you are in a centralized meditative kind of state where it's you and that yeah. instrument yeah you know and for 15 minutes you're not thinking about the hassle you had with your boss or am <laughs> i going to make rent or you know when am i getting paid on this job or anything for 15 minutes you are just creating sound and what i love about instruments and music and in this because i teach kids or I did for a while, uh, ukulele, and especially cool. in um, nonprofit housing projects, kids right. don't have the opportunity, is the fact that there's an instant gratification because there's an instant result in playing an instrument, whether you hit a shitty note or you, you know, didn't grab the read right or you make a chord that sounds bad. It's the only thing that we can do that has, ding, there's the response right mm. there from an action, and it's instantaneous. And so by virtue of that, even if it's your play, and you'll hear me if you see me pop up that video next week and talk about, wow, you haven't played guitar for whatever. Now, now, now you got the, the dents in your fingers and the strings, <laughs> your calluses are gone. But at the same token, remember when you used to play guitar yeah. and how you work through that or, or there's new techniques now you can look up online or maybe you just need your guitar to be set up, you know, and, you know, drop the action or change the strings and stuff. So there's always another something if you if you feel that you want to take the next step and that's what this final pivot in my life is all about is is whatever time i have left here i'm not old i'm 60 but i mean whatever time i have left here yeah. is going to be all based on that kind of motivation and that kind of you know self uh release if you would you know if that's, that's your jam that's I cool though i think it's cool i got to know your your stuff I don't know how many people, I'm sure you get many stories where people go, hi, oh, this is it. I love Silverchair. And I seen you do, you, it was, you were reacting to emotion sickness. And I was like, oh, oh yeah. And it, it, it's just funny because the first song that kind of turned me on Silverchair was emotion sickness. Like I had heard them because my era when I was young was like, it was like new metal and metal and stuff like that. And all my friends are into metal and I liked metal and I liked Bowie and the Beach Boys and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But um, I remember when I first heard Emotion Sickness, I was like, whoa, that's cool, man. That's That kind of pricked my ears. So when I seen your video, I was like, oh, that's cool. Man. It's just, it's always cool seeing how someone else kind of reacts to something, you know, and yeah, it was cool. And like all the David Healthcott piano, because, uh, you know, you know, did you ever see the movie Shine? Yes, of course. Yeah, like they, he's the guy playing the piano. All the all the piano pits on emotion sickness. David Helcott. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he he. Wow. He's, yeah, and there's videos of like Daniel kind of, and him kind of in the studio, and he's kissing Daniel on the head. It's like like Daniel's incredibly talented. The movie was incredible. The movie was such a, a matter of fact. Whenever I feel like I need an emotional lift, <laughs> yeah. like I, I I go and I look up the um, flight of the um, 
butterfly, um, bumblebee. Bumblebee. Clip. Yeah, but I mean, the reason why I do that is because sometimes my social anxiety uh, is when I feel that the world is getting bullied or, you know, and there's that great scene where the little snotty piano player that was in there saying, oh, go ahead and play whatever. He was being very snotty and shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's almost like a vindictive, like, well, if I had a bad day with somebody treating me that way today, I'm looking up this bit. Yeah. And it's going to make me feel great at the end because at the end, he not only does he rip and everybody's kind of like, hey, what's going on? Or, you know, the next edit is him all dressed up and people love him. Yeah. And that guy disappeared. So that's kind of like a feel good clip that I'll play where I want to get on top of a crummy feeling, if you would, if somebody, you know, was yeah. was a little harsh or something or, or something I caught. So and, and but the movie in of itself was Oh, it's a, so well done. Didn't he win a Grammy for that? I mean, uh, he, he won an Oscar. Award. Yeah, yeah. He won the Oscar for that. Isn't it? And he plays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's incredible. I mean, that was like Jeffrey Rush. What was his name? Jeffrey right. Rush. Hey, I'm like, boy, got technique. Look at that, boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a great. Did you actually, uh, from listening to Emotion Sickness by Silver, did you actually go into and listen to any of their other stuff? after it no i haven't i've got you know i've got a list of silver chair but uh, now i will tune but, it um, tune in the brian and it's amazing like it's amazing it's called tune brian? in the brian tune it tune it in the brian oh tune okay tune yeah. in the brian and van dyke parks did all the orchestrations on and stuff like that so it's uh, it's like his that, that i'll whole, definitely check that out that whole album diorama is a masterpiece man totally write that down. epic quality tune, tune in the brian shine yeah. like tune in the brian <laughs> okay bro. yeah, yeah it, it, there's like there's loads of these cool like different changes and stuff and yeah it's an incredible and just the story I know, I, I know I'm big enough Silver's here but the story for that is a really great story because like you know they came from being this grunge band that were like seen as Nirvana in pajamas and then he creates this kind of piece that's outside of all that and the the record company were like, there's like the documentary and the record company are like, yeah, can you maybe just, can we hear that song without the strings and the horns? And you're like, dude, what the fuck, man? That's the music. What are you doing? Like taking out old Van Dyke's ring, you know what I mean? But that's how record labels are. They're like, what can we sell now? Can we sell this? And it's like, ah, you know. Could you imagine if they would have said that to Pink Floyd and Comfortable Numb? Can you take out the strings and the French horn, please? Like, What? But they do that. They do that. That sort of thing. They're looking at stocks and numbers and all that sort of crap. I've gone through years of that, even though my career has not been with the record industry because my father and my uncle and all of that, I have walked in step with the record industry. I've seen the deals go down. I've heard the deals go down. I've heard the problems. And then I had a, a couple of years where I was a, an a second engineer to an engineer at a notorious producer's um, studio in Hollywood mm. and watched him negotiate a sub record label contract, I think with Wea back at the time when he founded that girl, Tiffany, remember? I think oh, we're all alone now. You know, and uh, so I worked for George for a couple of years, you know, in the studio, watched and listened to the wow. deals about the screaming matches and the bullshit and then the problems with Tiffany and the mom and just all the garbage that went on. Well, not there weren't problems then that came out a little later, but it, it, it was a very unique experience because it was giving me an education on all sides of the industry. Yeah. You know, George was brilliant in the fact that, you know, he's the one that did the mall tour. Wow. So there were parts of that where you just had to sit back and go, wow, <laughs> check this out. On a pop level release. Yeah. He did everything right 
in that time when malls were a big thing, you know, yeah. in America and stuff. And, uh, you know, but it was the most difficult time of my professional career, too, because uh, I didn't know, first of all, that I wanted to be anything in the music industry. I was still struggling with what am I, what do I want to do when I grow up? What, what do age, I want to what do age were you, going surfing? What age were you then? Early 20s, I'd have to say 23, 4, 5-ish through that right. journey. Right. And, um, but the universe kept throwing me these opportunities to learn new things. I mean, outside of coming out of a family that, you know, I'm sitting in the house and dad comes in with very successful, famous entertainers to talk you know, arrangements and stuff. To me, I didn't assemble that as being famous anything. You know, it, it was just right. what my dad does for a living. He plays piano. He does these arrangement things and there's music all around me. And here's my drum set and my guitar and my bass and my violin and whatever. And this is what I was just, this was my toy box. And it wasn't until later working for, you know, George Tobin as, you know, especially as a second engineer, you know, clean the toilet, set up the mics, all that sort of fun <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Um, that I was sitting in a session. I was very you know, second engineer, don't be heard, don't be seen, just sit back over there by the patch bay. <laughs> the patch bay. And um, something happened where the session stopped for about 10 minutes. They had to take a break, go to the bathroom. And, and one of the session musicians had asked, you know, oh, are you new here? They had small talk stuff. And, and what about music? And then I said, well, you know, not me, my dad and my uncle, they do music and stuff and have done some stuff. And they said, oh, so what's their names? When I told them their names, they all just went, you're, you're a Del Barrio. And I go, Oh shit. Did they not pay taxes or something? I'm like, well, and then I said, yes. And then at that point was my aha moment. I went, Oh wow. My uncle and my father are known for what they do right. because they were not famous, but they worked with famous people. Right. So I had no concept. Truly. I was aloof to all of that. And because I wanted surfing, I wanted surfing. I wanted girls. I could, you know, if I had to go work at Carl's Jr. Hamburger joint for a minute, just to make enough money to put gas in my car, yeah. you know, that's all I thought about, you know? And even though I was a drummer in a band in, in, in junior high school and stuff, that was just a fun thing to do. Why? Girls. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't in my trajectory to say, this is, I'm lucky to be in this environment. I need to make something happen from it. And it didn't happen that way. And it, and, only at that point at the recording studio that I, I was like, quoi? What? Oh. Oh, okay. Oh, well, that's really cool. I still had to, you know, clean a toilet the next day. Yeah, and, well, you know. You know, do, do my job. But then at that point, I, I realized what my family's impact was, at least in that little area in Hollywood and what they've done with their, you know, the music that they, they worked on. And then the weirdest things in that studio started happening, like guitar player couldn't get that part or something or, or and then I'd go to the engineer <laughs> and the engineer would go, hey, you know, Jeeb's over here. You just said you want him. So then I get up, I played a part or yeah. somebody had a problem with MIDI. Hey, you know, Jeeb's can fix this for you. <laughs> and then before you know it, I'm talking to the right people and say, well, do you, can you do this? Can you do this? Oh, yeah, I can do that. And these were all these things that I learned when I was a kid because I was playing in that toy box. Yeah. You know, and then the, 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 the education I got about MIDI and back in those days was because my father and I got into a huge fight when I left California and I came here because my mom lives here. I said, I'm going to Hawaii. I'm going to be a surfer. Uh, and he was like, <laughs> 
you know, in Spanish, he's screaming at me and he's like, oh, don't you waste your life all these years in music. You can do it. You can. And you're going to go be a surfer. And my dad was really irate. Uh, if you leave, don't ever come back. I went, aloha. Oh, <laughs> so <no>. I split. <laughs> when I came back, I realized after about a year living here when I was really young, I came back and something was missing. Right. I didn't know what it was. Right. But I kept on listening to music that I'd written in my dad's studio over the 70s like old cassette tapes. And I just, there was something, I had no idea I was missing it till I was missing it, till I was gone. Mm. So I come back with my tail between my legs. My dad's still like, mm. and I figured, okay, I know how I'm gonna get on the good side. I'm gonna get a job somewhere in music. So my very first job was a guitar center at Sherman Oaks in the little shoebox guitar center. <laughs> There's the big one now that's over there that they have, you know, okay. that's still there. But right. there was one about the size of a shoebox <laughs> in like in the in the late 70s, early 80s. And I worked there. And at that point is when I went, oh, look, a DX7, a Juno 106, uh, an OB8 and, a, you know, and a Prophet and a, and a Moog and stuff. I go, oh, my uncle and my dad have all that stuff in their studio. That's cool. I know how to. Oh, MIDI. What? How are they doing? What? Oh, the Atari 1040 SD. What? So I came in during that period. Yeah. And once again, like the universe would always do to me, oh, here, you learn a little bit of this and you learn a little bit of this, learn a little bit of this. And um, through the 80s was that kind of fertile process. And really, I'm, I'm a late starter as a composer. I didn't get my first paying job as a composer to media until I was in my, well, I was like 30, 31. Right. Right. Because all the 20s, I was just going through, going, what am I going to do? Because in the meantime, I'm still, I, I work at a surfboard factory. <laughs> yeah. I was a finishing sander and gla and uh, polisher and stuff. I was still that surfer dude. Yeah. But then slowly but surely, the transition of like, oh, music, oh, music, oh, music, oh, music. Yeah, that's cool. And then dad started working with heavier and bigger artists on a pop level. Then my uncle wrote, um, co-wrote a hit with some of his friends. That put him in another stratosphere. You know, the band Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yeah, yeah, cool. So he co-wrote Fantasy, which oh, was one wow. of their biggest hits. And that ah, piano is awesome. him. That whole, that whole. I think, I think the piano is his. But no, that's. Yeah, he. The story goes that he was putzing around, and 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 the guys came over, um, and he played. And he went, and they went. What is that? And that's, cool. that's how fantasy came about. They all that's came cool. together. And um, and then they offered him after that success to go to the Bahamas to write the follow-up album. But my uncle decided that he wanted to um, pursue more of a heavier, jazzier fusion stuff. So he went in that direction and then uh, hooked up with now who's like a brother to him, Herb Alpert, the uh, trumpet player. Oh, wow. or, I mean, a record company genius. This guy's in love with you. That was one of his tracks. Great song. Yeah, that was uh, just all and all and all and all. And and then uh, he and Herb produced Stan Guess's last album together oh, and wrote wow. some of his songs for him and stuff. Wow. So, so my uncle really locked into his path. Yeah. And didn't look back at pop music. He can care. He's like most of us. You don't care about. <laughs> just give me a place to write music. You know, I, I'm not shooting for having the biggest house on the mountain. Yeah. You know, and so he follows his heart until he, and he's still alive today. And he and Herb are still writing together a bunch of stuff. Wow. Always Herb's going, Hey, let's do this. Let's do this. So, oh man, that's cool. So he went in that direction. Then dad humbly stayed on his direction, but then he transitioned pretty strongly through the eighties. Um, you know, when you get your little, when you get your click of people who keep hiring you, like Bill Petrell kept on hiring my dad to do stuff. So that's that story with the Michael Jackson and Shelby Lynn and right. Connor and all that sort of stuff. And 
leads into the next one, leads into the next one. So my dad just glided through his whole life just, um, I mean, he had to work, always had to put out, of course. Yeah. But, you know, back in the days when, you know, he's a union guy, local 47 Hollywood, you know, and everything was all by the books. Everything was done the days where, yeah, where a record label would have twenty five, thirty, fifty thousand $50,000 for a complete string section, you know, for, you know, double dates and stuff like that, because that's how the industry worked, you know, but, you know, towards the very end, the only people that could afford to actually hire him were people that were able to pull money out of their own pocket because they wanted strings. Yeah. Yeah. Because they couldn't convince the record company, but they're big enough. So, you know, uh, I think it was Shelby. No, Cheryl Crow did a great Christmas CD for Hallmark, you know, the card company. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they called my dad in front of it was Shelby Lynn in the group and all these huge strings. Sweet. You know, that was probably the last of the corporate funding of sections like that. Right. Whereas, and then, and then the one he did with Toby Keith, I think too, that I think they were, but the other ones that came from that people had to pull out, you know, the John, I think I'm not sure, but I can recall that, um, like John Andrasik or the five for fighting work that my dad did with John, some of that money didn't necessarily come from the record company also had to come a little bit from, you know, within, I think I'm not, I'm not, you know, I can't say that's a quotable knowledgeable point, but right. that's when all of a sudden strings really were falling out of favor or those kind of arrangements because record companies weren't, you know, seeing it as a advantage, you know, yeah. so. And there's a, there is, there is a, I, I like, string libraries have come on incredible. Like, I remember the first one I used was, I think it was East West. It was an old school one. And it was quite, yeah, I even, I still have their, um, yeah, they, they, they were good. The that monthly, what you call it? Uh-huh. Their, their uh, composer cloud. Oh, okay. No, I had like, this is like, this is like 2000, I think, three. Oh, this, this is like East West Gold or something like that. And Christ, I, I was using the old Kurzweil. <laughs> library you know right after the last supper i was like oh geez check this thing and i blow dust off of this <laughs> well this guy on ebay was selling them on cd like dvds because you know it cost a fortune it's like i'm buying that shit and i was like i thought it wasn't no even shit, real man. but it's like 25 quid and it was like you know east west don't sue me if you ever hear this but um yeah and um uh, i don't care but um yeah they've come so long like spitfire and all those things now but they still they still don't I know. You just cannot beat that. There's just something about it. You can't beat a real orchestra. I don't care what anyone says. I'm sure people can make prove me wrong, but for me, I don't know. I did. There's something about a real orchestra. It's a it's a different level of conversation between us and composers and the people that know the sound of a bow again with rosin against a string. Yeah. But the thing is, is that the newer, younger composers, if they don't have the opportunities to actually sit there and become part of it, that's why my composer series that I'm putting out is going to be. If you can and you do get educated that way, wow, that's great. But there's a really good chance that a lot of you are going to start this way. Yeah. So when you think you're really hearing strings, well, that's the reason why my dad was a successful orchestrator was because sometimes composers would compose on the keyboards and they had a budget for the film. And, you know, it's a Hollywood budget, but then realize that the strings don't quite work the same way that they played it here. Yeah. So my dad goes, yeah, no, that's not going to work. So what we're going <laughs> to do is this, you know? And um, so, yes, no, the truth be told is that that conversation is with, you know, guys like you and I, musicians that have physically been in the presence of, you know, an orchestra or, or listening to the 
sound of breath as before the first note comes from an oboe or something, you know, all those little nuances. But that bar is shifting. Yeah. And the acceptance barrier to entry by directors and stuff like that when it comes to media composition, because generally it's going to be buried behind sound effects, sound design, dialogue. Yeah. You know, so if you and I get hired to do a job and we can do it all off of our plugins, and at least we have the knowledge of how that should sound. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We, we, we don't want to do that with the violas. We should maybe do that with the cello. And then I'm going to double that with, you know, a flute line that's going to be in unison with it to give it strength or whatever the case is. Yeah. At least organically, we can put that into the work. Mm-hmm. But the new guy that's coming up, you know, that, that doesn't get to go to a, you know, even let's just say a local college of music studies or composition or a local, you know, they're going to sit there. They're going to watch you too. Like we talked about earlier, <laughs> they're going to go, Oh, okay. You know, there's, there are some great guys and funny, entertaining, you know, composers out there that do really nice tutorials. I was going, well, if I was a beginner, I'd be motivated. Except now I'm starting to get a little, <clears throat> when I start seeing these things pop up going, Hey, you want to be a composer? You can make $10,000 a film. I'm like, <sighs> yeah, man. That, that those those days are pretty hard for you know, you know like they're hard for composers that can do that yeah yeah <laughs> you know what i mean so i understand that they're marketing for their school or they're marketing for whatever it is they want them to learn which is fine mm. i just I, I get just a little deflated because i'm like there are some great qualified composers that would love to do a short film or something for 10 grand you know what i mean and it's yeah but that's just old man Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> not, these are not the composer days that you know of. Though, so, you know, like, have you ever heard, of, have you ever used Fiverr? You know about that? that? I, yes, and hire a musician, hire, um, you know, I've never used it, but I've definitely heard of it. I've, I've used it a few times. I had, um, I did like a Christmas song, you know, and I wanted to get a quartet and I found a guy actually in the Ukraine. I think he, char- I think it was like 60 quid. Unbelievable player. Like they just did four, you know, I just sent them to score a play. Like that's the thing with the internet nowadays is like you can find more like players who are like, who will do stuff that are incredible. Like they're incredible. Whereas it was quite difficult years ago and you'd have to pay a lot more to get uh, someone of that quality. So in a weird way with budgets and people moving towards orchestral like libraries, it's almost made people who play violin or cello they go well i have to make money another way and maybe i can do it this way so it's kind of like it's a great way to get people who are great players and you know they get paid from us so it's kind of win-win for everyone yeah yeah i mean it, it is it is part of the um you know the side hustle or you know that that we all have to do you know um uh i i was part of that you know, in the 90s, I got caught up in some conversations with some composers that were really bummed that I was writing library music. It was people like you, the reason why we can't get jobs. I go, no, it's not. It's people like me that are filling a need because directors and producers don't have the money to hire a guy like you. So if they don't care enough about the music that they're okay with renting or licensing out just whatever they have to, to put behind it. Yeah. Then be thankful that you're not working for them because then you'd be really pissed off <laughs> that you took the money and then you have to do you, you you have to be treated like a monkey in a circus in order to get the work that they don't understand what goes into it yeah 
you know, and well, you know, it's, you know, if you didn't, and then this, and then if they didn't have the music from music libraries then they'd have to hire us, no, 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 it's like, I get you, I get what you're saying, but music libraries have been around since the forties. Yeah. People don't know that they recycled, you know, music from films, you know, to do their films that were whatever they would consider B roll B films or whatever, you know, they was always recycled. It's just, it became a business model. And I just got hooked in with a couple of publishers and just threw me shit ton of work because I was able to write so many different styles, not necessarily prolifically. But if you said to me now, if you had said to me now, can you do something like Meshuggah or Slipknot or Mudvayne? I'd go, oh yeah, I got that. No problem. No. (laughs) And not, not, not to take away from what they are and how great they are as musicians and what they produce. But when, when I hear a publisher or somebody say that I know what they're saying. They're saying that chuggy, not, not of the artist, but because they can't describe what they want. They use the name of an artist or a band. And they say, can you, can you do this? Like um, it's your birthday from 50 cent, or can you do this? Like this song from Lady Gaga. And then I go, Oh yeah. Okay. But it doesn't mean I, I, I don't have it in here passionately to put it out there as a, pure piece of music right but as a composer that gets hired to do sound alikes or when people don't know how to express what they want if they were to say to me can you do something like slip lot or mud vein or mashuga i know what they're saying yeah not can you become them <laughs> yeah. that they want that chuggy heaviness yeah and then it's up to me to say oh i know what they do and then what's the project for oh x games or, you know, extreme sports, then I say, okay, so what you're really saying is, can you do something in new metal? I could say, okay, (laughs) and do it and have the job delivered, you know, and, and it doesn't have to, and it doesn't anywhere near have to literally sound as incredibly quality as, you know, a a release from these, you know, really super cool artists and bands and stuff, but as a composer to fulfill the need of somebody who doesn't know how to ask you know, I can't tell you, maybe you've had this experience too, when, you know, you're sitting, I'm sitting, you know, I, quite a few jingles and commercials that I've done and the creative director goes, well, you know, that thing, that, what's that thing? It's just, it's just kind of loud. It's that, what, what, what thing? Well, okay, let's play it. And let me, and you show me with your hand, what thing is that you're talking about? Well, that, that, I'm like, oh, it's called a snare. Yes. I can move that down in the mix. You know, and because you have these creative directors, sometimes don't know about music and they're sitting there. And now somebody comes in from the EMT level, executive management team to listen to this, you know, the, the music because they have to in order to approve it. And all of a sudden they say something like that and you have to go, okay, <laughs> it's a snare. I can move that down for you. Do you feel that it's intrusive? Yes, I can do that, you know, so. Do you, do you think it made you better... Uh, musician doing uh, that kind of work because you're constantly um, you know if someone gives you a, a, a piece that they want you to do but like you kind of have to do your own res- you know you're researching almost and you're kind of learning through it do you, do you think it made you better or were you or did it do um, anything for you I think what it did is it expanded my 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 your palette sonic palette yes my sonic palette of what I can do if I get called to do the job right today this morning I, I, I was on the phone with one of the publishers and um, he was talking to me. He's going, dude, right now, that's that meditation stuff that you wrote like 15 years ago is getting placed right now on these videos <laughs> that are going out on YouTube right now. And you, so you're going to get some cheese soon. I went, oh, OK, great. Sweet. You know, and I was like back then meditation music. I had to go, what is meditation music? 
you know, and I went, oh, okay, that's really cool. So I can do these beautiful long pad chords with ninths and let them kind of hang out there and resolve with a and very floaty stuff. I went, oh yeah, I got that, no problem. So I put my elbow on the keyboard, drink coffee, deliver a track. <laughs> and I'm sorry, I, I don't make fun. I, I I just like to have, tell I'm kind of here to the mind, but you know, do these nice chords and stuff. Say, have a nice day. Thank you for the money. They sit in the library and then somebody uses it, pulls mm -hmm. it. Um, as far as becoming a better musician, for me, no, I still have my lim uh, you know, limits on how I can play bass, guitar, and keyboards and stuff. I think it just makes me a better educated right. uh, composer, you know, and especially, you know, I'm on my way out as a composer, if, if not almost done. And what I mean by that is, is most of my connections from the 90s and stuff have either passed away or they've gone into other composers that you know they have better relationships with which i knew would happen as soon as i moved to hawaii in 2001 and 2 when i came back here mm -hmm. and then the few publishers that keep hiring me are the ones that just know what i can put out you know i get a phone call jeeves like probably in two months i'll get an order for christmas music for the end of this year different styles can you do it with the ukulele can you do it with this can you do it with that you know just throw sleigh bells on anything just can you do it for I'm like <laughs> <laughs> okay but but even the money for that goes down and down and down and down and down every year and right. i understand i'm not going to grind him for it i go guys you should give me twenty five hundred dollars a track now you're giving me you know two scoops of ice cream and uh what you call it you know but mm. that was back in the 90s right but now because of online submissions too for composers that can submit to stock music mm -hmm. but there's a difference there which i'll maybe explain in one of my composer series is that stock music online and stuff like that is great yes there's money to be made there but where the big super cheese is and in, in media on tv they won't touch any of that stuff in right, general right you know because pepsico wants to own that or yeah. mcdonald's wants to own that they want to own the intellectual property top to top to bottom they don't want to get all loosened up with you know it does happen occasionally i know i know it does happen where somebody finds a track on on like a Shutter stock, stock shutter, whatever that's called. Oh yeah, yeah, I know that place. You got a, I had no idea they had a music library. You know that composers can load up their their tracks and and I didn't, I didn't, cocking. I didn't know that till now. <laughs> yeah, and there's another one on a company called Theme Forest. I think it's called Audio something. There are all these sites where, you know, here's the funny thing. So I've been doing this for my whole life, right? I have a particular quality I put out. I submitted a bunch of my stuff to that one on Theme Forest. He said. Sorry, we have to reject you. It doesn't sound like it's professional media quality. I'm like, these mother. And no, what it is is their friends getting their friends' yeah. stuff in there. Yeah, are they going to shut me down? I mean, that's my old man conspiracy. <laughs> what might be happening? But how are you going to tell me that my stuff is not professional? I'm not saying that that statement sounded much more arrogant than I meant. What I meant yeah. was, I've been putting out media quality, powerful music. <laughs> And you're going to tell me that I just sent you something that was less than acceptable on the media standard. I was like, that's crazy. Yeah, I'm going to go surfing. Yeah. Yeah. Probably <laughs> I just was trying to see what I could do. Probably you know? best. <laughs> you know, so. How, but, how, um, how do you think um, the, the music kind of business has changed? Because because. I, I'm sure yourself, you, you get like royalties on Spotify and they're like pittance. And uh, I find that labels seem to be it looks like they're making more money than they've ever been. And it looks like artists are getting shitted on more than they've ever been. Do you, do you find that that's the case or in your experiences or anything? 
I think the better question is, when has that ever changed? Yeah. <laughs> so really, if you take it from the album days all the way back to, um, you know, Muddy Water getting paid uh, $25 and whatever, and his song goes on and makes any other people millions of dollars. I don't, I, I have a hard time myself emo with my emotional ethics. Yeah. To give the record company the people's elbow as much as I'd love to and say, you mother fanakin, you son of a, you guys would be, but the thing is, is that for years and 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 years, I've also, because I've been on that side of the game, not as a participant in a record label, but because okay. I've seen all the negotiations, I've heard all the stories, Okay. you know, bad deals and stuff, literally from people who are tremendously huge. And um, they all know what they're getting into. Right. They all know what they're getting into. There's, there's, if any act right now is to sign a deal, let's just say, let's go back into the eighties. Yeah. And if any act right now is to sign a deal saying, we're going to give you $500,000 up front. Here's a house. Here's a car. Uh, you have unlimited expenses, uh, but it's all recoupable. <laughs> and, uh, you know, no matter what information there is out there, there will be a young artist that'll, that'll snap that right up. Yeah, because they don't take or have gone to an attorney or anything. And it's just it's just who we are as humans. You're going to throw a grip of cash and all the glam up front. There was a very there are very famous stories. Like I don't want to I'm not going to go into names or the names of the labels and stuff where they here's the house. Here's the car. Here's everything. Oh, you ain't selling shit later. Yeah. Oh, by the way, you owe us half a million dollars. Yeah. Third oh, and, and we're taking back the cars. You can keep the clothes, but now you don't have a closet to put the clothes in. Yeah. <laughs> They're they're a glorified bank, I think, because if you can make they are. if you can make your but own at record. At the same token, I think good record companies now, and when I say good, I mean ones that really want to be successful. And since I don't know, I haven't been, I haven't had my ear to the ground of a record company, you know, thing uh, deal or anything, is that perhaps maybe a record company now who signs an artist. Because in most cases, the artist is finished with the label. Yeah. <laughs> and then they're getting a little headway. And then a record company goes, oh, we'll carry you. Yeah. And we'll push you through our record label social media channels. And we'll just take a percentage of this. You keep all of that. You know, if we generate income through um, copyright claims, you know, you figure a million YouTube views uh, with a song that averages under seven minutes. And let's just say they run two ads in the front that are... Um, um, must watch ads, you're going to make about 2,500 to maybe $3,000. Oh, well that came through our channel. I, and once again, I don't know if this is happening, yeah. but I'm assuming that it has to be something of that nature that, you know, and also who knows what kind of deals they're signing with their publishing and their writers and, you know, the masters and the whole thing. So I, it, it's really hard to say, I'd love to, I'd love to think that record companies that have a good, um, vision for their long-term success is looking at the artists in a different way. But since I have nobody on the inside anymore, you know, the last, I have two different friends that are still kind of in the game, but I haven't talked to them a lot, but they're more into the hip hop aspect of it, but it's still business as usual. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know? I got, uh, <laughs> not too long ago, I had a, a lovely zoom meeting with a, a record label. I won't say who they were, but, uh, it was like a subsidiary of a major label anyways. But, um, the, the deal was like a horrendous like 360 deal i mean like it was, they still do those they yeah uh, it was i was just like i was like do i actually make any money from this do i actually it, it was just horrendous what they were kind of laying out and 
I was kind of like, nah, I'm cool. And they couldn't kind of comprehend why I was kind of like, no, nah, I'm kind of cool with that. No, I'll just keep doing my own kind of thing. And it was just, I think a lot of, you know, younger bands and artists, they get, you know, the 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 offer of a, a contract, they just will snap that thing up. Like you were saying, you know, like they'll just, it's, it's the, the they don't see the, 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 the writing uh, the contract for what it is and that you, you will get taken you will get taken which is sad. yeah and that's the legacy story you know be it van halen or prince <laughs> prince all is those cool, stories <laughs> you know all those stories that go all the way back and you know it's just it is what it is you know and i think um there is such a passion as a creator that if anybody pays you the slightest amount of attention, and I and I surrender to this statement as well, it really makes you feel good. It makes you feel like, hey, I, you know, this is really great. Somebody likes my stuff. They're gonna, you know, promote it. They're gonna do this. Yeah. You know, they, you see, I saw two sides of the record industry in my family. Right. My father made an incredible living and never made more than ten thousand dollars in his whole life in royalties. What? Because every time he wrote a chart. He was a double scale conductor uh, and he charged a rate for his charts. Boom. Cool. String arrangers don't make royalties. If he did, he would have made bank off of Michael Jackson's um, history album. He did wow. morphine. He did a couple of other things on there. He would have made, no, Mike paid well, you know, his company and, and whatever. Yeah. But my dad, all the way until he passed away, lived up on eight acres in North LA County overlooking the beach you don't know his name or nothing but he to me represented Ooh. i work for a living yeah okay thank god i have these producers and composers that keep hiring me i was very grateful and lucky with my life and then he takes his last breath i mean in the essence of the story yeah or my uncle when i watched the checks coming in for him when he did fantasy and he was funniest story in the world. I think it was um, after the first cycle, he starts getting these royalty checks that he throws, throws on the desk. He doesn't care about them because for four <laughs> years, he was in a band called Caldera on Capitol Records, which was a really huge underground jazz fusion, Latin jazz fusion band. Wow. You know, Alex Acuna, Frank's, um, uh, oh God, uh, Jorge Strunz. These huge yo hips monsters, but for four years, he'd get royalties from his jazz album that would be, you know, amassing, you know, a couple gal, you know, fill up gas tanks and stuff, you know. Yeah. So it wasn't until his girlfriend at the time had seen these checks, he starts opening it up and he goes, What what are you doing? <laughs> my, my uncle is just like, you know, he's smoking a cigarette at the piano, like like a health got kind of character. <laughs> and then he goes, it's thirty-seven thousand dollars. Why don't you wow. just sit here? Let's get a drink. Wow. And my uncle was like, "The fuck." <laughs> so he went through an era of catching these huge checks, huge to him, you know, not by the standards of Earth, Wind, Fire themselves, millions of dollars, but to my my uncle. Yeah. And his trajectory, and he started kind of basing some of the things on these royalties. Well, fortunately, because of his trajectory as a, as a songwriter and stuff and, and getting hired to do things, he was still able to manage and still has a wonderful, you know, life playing piano and where he lives and, and, and still being able to compose. But he did call me, he goes, it was about two years ago, he goes, 
There was 87 million plays of my song and I got a check for $198 from Spotify, oh. you know, and that's because he is what a third of, of the publishers royalty rights doesn't have anything to do with the masters. Right. Right. Doesn't have anything to do. I, I, I don't know what the publishing split was. So actually if you gave it, if you were to pay him, it could have been 0.9 cents or something. Jesus. You know, if it's a third of a third or however their division was made up. But so I watched what it was like to be part, watch my uncle and his traje trajectory through the world of royalty. And then I watched my father as the guy that just go, hello, who? Hey, who's Toby Keith? <laughs> oh, daddy's country guy. Oh, okay, yeah, great, come on over. You know, or the producer. You know, my dad was aloof. My dad, you know, he was first gen, uh, he was uh, an immigrant. So I'm a first generation American based on him immigrating to here from Argentina. Uh. There is nobody that he's ever worked with that he hasn't gone. Hey, who's that? <laughs> he knew Michael, though. Michael and the Jackson 5 thing happened early on because he was working with uh, Jermaine on things. And right, you know, right. before Michael really blew up and stuff. And, and they lived. We lived in Sherman Oaks and they lived in Encino. So there was this little music circle of people they all knew who who was already where everybody knew who michael and jackson five was and they okay. lived out there you know whatever but um best story i have is uh this is great so 1990 90 91 ish i don't know so i i come up from surfing and coming back i'm baked let's just say it <laughs> got my surfboard i drive up and my dad's property you had to drive up this little snaky driveway and i pull my truck up next to another truck and i go oh maybe dad's got some people working on the property or something you know maintenance or whatever and because uh, it was a dusty truck you know it looked like it was um, you know that kind of thing so i walk up to the house and my dad comes out and uh hey dad you know all in spanish hey dad what's going on hey how you doing this goes, somebody working on the property he goes no 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 i have uh, somebody down in the studio because he had his recording studio was separate from the house Okay. So we had that, and then the studio was down probably about 200 yards in this ravine in this nice little mountain, whatever thing. Beautiful. And he goes, yeah, but I, I think maybe she's sick. And I go, well, what do you mean, Dad? She has no hair. I go, Dad, what, what's her name? And remember, this is the Spanish. Este, uh, Sunudi, Sinide, Sanadi. Dad, is it Sinead O'Connor? I, Asia, see, Cloud, okay, see, Asia. I went, Dad, no, 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 no. That's her thing. She's okay. So, of course, now I'm slightly starstruck a little bit. I'm like, oh, badass. I go, Dad, I'm going to come down and say hi. He goes, oh, yes, of course. So she was really sweet and all that. And they were working on something that never released, uh -huh. did get recorded at Oceanway. I'm one of the only people that have that file. Oh, Sounds wow. unbelievable. But it was wow. just Sinead and my father's string section. Absolutely amazing. Savage. And it was for a musical. It never got put together. But wow. I so wish I could share that, but I don't want to kick over any kind of hornet's nest. I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe I will before I die. Maybe I'll just be on my deathbed going. <laughs> And here it is, fuck the world. You know, you know, but it's such a lush, and it's probably to me one of the most amazing songs she's ever written. Wow. Because it had to do with more of musical theater and a theater opposed to maybe a song. So she was telling a, a different kind of story because it doesn't have your structured intro, verse, hook. It is just a piece. 
And then on the fly, she loved what my father did so much. This was done in Ocean Way. It's an amazing studio. Alan Sides was the uh, engineer, and he loved when my, every time my father had string sections, Alan would be lobbying, going, come on, you got to come over here and do it. But they got along really well. And um, so at the very end of what my father was playing, he did this kind of like, um, I don't know if it was, uh, please forgive me. You're fine. Sinead. Irish or Scottish? Irish, brother. Irish. Irish. Okay, that's why I said forgive me. I, <laughs> I go, I'm Bobo. Hey. Argentina is way on the other side of the planet. Don't worry, I, man. Don't I'm worry. I'm down with the penguins. I don't know. <laughs> You're all good, man. <laughs> but, um, uh, so he wrote this end that was that feel. Oh, like a Celtic kind of feel. Yes. Stunning. So much that Sinead stopped my father and said, that is so beautiful. Can you let that run for a while? Yeah. So my dad looked at the charts and was like, can you give me 15 minutes? And he rewrote everything right there on the spot, you know, with wow. codas and stuff, there were yeah. certain things that he didn't pull because yeah. it was already in its key and everything. And there were certain things that he did pull, but then he just kind of rearranged it and just let it run for another minute just so she could have it, even though it had nothing to do with the, you know, where it was going to end up. She just really loved that. And that relationship between my father and Sinead to watch to get was just wow. like old world, old school composer with this, you know, pre <laughs> ripping up the picture, yeah. <laughs> young, you know, blooming artist, you know, just connecting in a way where I was like, wow, I'm watching this. That's cool, man. You know, and then actually my father, out of all hundreds of charts that he's written, he only had in his desk, you know, when he passed away, we're going through some of his stuff. And I saw this little box of cassette tapes. And out of all the charts that he had done, you know, from way back till when he passed, hmm. um, there was the cassette tape of that session. Oh, that's sweet. And that's how I got it. I was like, whoa. Wow. So I got it and I dropped it in and digitally stashed it somewhere and just kind of tweaked it a little bit because it was it was a rough mix. Yeah. You know, you can even hear Sinead clear her voice a little bit at the very beginning of her or, or look for the tone. Yeah. She's like, mm. and so there was no mix. It was just a rough that Alan wanted to do really quick on the day. And um, that was one of my father's more personal uh, joys in his career was that piece. Mm. But he didn't know who she was. <laughs> did, he, did he ever tell you? Did he ever tell you why it meant a lot to him? I think it was because. Sinead gave my father the most slightest direction and allowed my father to compose. Right, right. Because Sinead just gave my dad a melody. No click track, nothing. Everything was done in Roboto, even the recording. And Sinead was da 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 So my, God, my dad goes, okay, well, I'm going to write an opening for that. And then she comes in with the strings. You know, she's singing. I don't know if she, I don't know if she went into the cans of the musicians. You know how they can isolate all that in the mix yeah, and yeah. stuff. But I was in the room during that whole thing because there was a young lady I was impressing back in the day. <laughs> so you're in here from Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah. Hey, you know, my father. Hey, Sinead, how you doing? Brown chicken, brown cow. Hey. Well, by the time I got into the studio, I was just dumbfounded by the energy and the relationship and everything that was going on. And it was just amazing to watch. And then she one time performed it. 
on that recording that I have one time. And it is absolutely stunning. Wow, Her, man, the way she performed it, the lyrical content of it. It was just to this day, I, when I listen to it, I tear up, you know, thinking of my father and that session and stuff. But the song is so I don't have a great depth of knowledge about her career and stuff, except for on the pop culture, what has happened to her and mm -hmm. what she's done mm -hmm. or, or not done or whatever. Mm -hmm. But just for what little I know of her, you know, uh, creative career, to me, this was one that came from such the depths of where so she came from that it, it was undisputing, undisputed to me as being one of the most wonderful pieces of music. Now, of course, a little bias, right, Dad? But still, the melody. And it's just her and I'd say a medium Hollywood section. Wow. But, you know, double bass all the way up, all strings. Lush, not trick, yeah. Not, yeah. not a lot of stuff that composers would go, mm -hmm, you know, just the right stuff. Yeah, man. And that's Your what dad, my dad and my uncle also trained me on. You know? Your dad must have had such an interest in life. But his story, like, you know, coming as an immigrant to America and becoming like a well-known composer is such a amazing story like you know it's crazy i i yeah. sometimes get caught up in it and go you know i i don't have regrets but sometimes mm. i do go why didn't i take advantage of this you know why didn't i go in this direction but that's not what my life in the universe wanted me to do maybe now i'm supposed to do what i'm supposed to do with this channel the puppets with the kids and the nonprofit work i do for the hospitals all that yeah. sort of stuff maybe this is what my life is really blooming itself to be not whatever the legacy of my family has been, because my grand uncle scored over 135 films in Argentina. Ah, it's and we still man. have a music conservatory in Mendoza, Argentina, even though the doors don't work anymore. It's old. Nobody's learning music the same way. You know, my grandmother was an opera singer. My grandfather wrote world choral works. It still gets covered on YouTube. He's been dead 40 years, but you know, wow. choral groups in Argentina will find his works and then cover it. You know, and then my dad, my uncle, my other uncle, he's very talented in music. He's a marimba player, piano player, but he was more of the intellect. So right. for a period, kept the school in Argentina running, you know. Mm. And now they're, you know, he's still alive too, but in their 80s, and it's not what it used to be. But yeah, I mean, I, I look back and what I was steeped in as far as history, I just go, wow, man. And there's some stories beyond the stories that happened in Argentina you know, that are really super insanely cool, but intense, you know, that's the yeah. music industry there and film and even Avita and all kinds of stuff. I mean, it was like wow. crazy, but I sit here on an island, <laughs> the furthest <laughs> piece of land away from the main, <laughs> 2,500 miles in the middle. This is where I'm at, you know, but I'm, I'm, I'm very happy and very excited that I got to this place, but yeah, man. it has been quite a journey. Yeah, it's a incredible story. Did you did your dad ever write a book or did he ever think about writing a book? Or? My dad, my dad and I have the same thing. We, he's, he was very grateful to be what he was in the music industry. But as soon yeah. as that red button turned off, all right, let's go cut down the oak trees. Oh, he all could right. just switch it off. Boom. Man, Done. I'd love to be able to see that. Until the phone rings again. Occasionally, he'd go down to the studio and plunk out some stuff and just have fun. His wife at the time, you know, loved when he would write a little song for her or something. But as yeah. soon as he was done, he was done. And he'd go off and take care of, you know, he wants to cut down this tree and let's do this and let's do this and let's do this. And then the phone would ring and then 
you know, he'd go back down to the studio and work. He'd love it. Yeah. But my uncle is polar opposite. <laughs> my uncle has to write 16 bars of work every day, still at 83 years old. Really? He wow. goes down to his studio. He turns on my uncle's. I love He's just an amazing human being. But he, he knows more about Cubase and plugins than I do half the time. He's the one that's on top of all the stuff and all the latest that's stuff so because great. he gets all the plugins from you know that. his friends and whatever. He buys it or whatever. You know, he's running, you know, well, I don't know if I like the new update on Cubase 12 because you know there was blah, blah, blah. I go just doing you know what I mean? He's just that guy. Yeah. You know, but he does turn on the system and then he just plays writes and goes takes a nap and he's done but he has to create i love that that's man. his thing I, me i go three four five months without touching my guitars or my keyboard i'll even take my keyboard off my midi no i would take my keyboard off my usb because my life has changed so i will always be able to write music till the day i die god willing i stay healthy mm. But now my life has changed to where this crazy YouTube channel that has popped up. You have a quarter of a accident. million. You have like a quarter million subscribers, man. That's incredible. It was an accident, bro. A total accident. My, my daughter a year and a half ago had said, you know, I was with my granddaughter. Hey, you know, do you remember when you used to teach us to find that one note in songs that we really liked that would be a game for us? You know, what would be the tonic or the root or something? I mean, you know, of, of the chord changes. And now you can go through your whole song going, mm. <laughs> but all the chords are going through that. You know, oh yeah, of course. Because you ought to try that. They do these things on YouTube called reactions. I go, what? <laughs> she shows me, I go, wait a minute. You watch other people watch other things and people watch that. She goes, yeah, you ought to try it. So I start looking around. I go, oh, wow, look at this. Okay. And then I watched a couple of like the hip hop ones, you know, hip hop guy listens to heavy metal. Yeah. And then I looked at that and I went, seems a little. Some of them seem like they've heard them before. Or forced reactions. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I said, well, what do I have to give? And then I came across one where I watched, um, she's wonderful. What is it called? The charismatic vocalist or whatever. She's an opera singer and teaches. And she, when she broke it down, I went, oh, look, she's giving her version of the vocals. Right. I went, all right, let me try one. So I look up songs and all of a sudden, I noticed that this other vocalist did a Tool song. I go, oh, I, know, I remember Tool. They were a band that used to do all kinds of like fun rhythmical stuff And because I'm not listening to rock or metal. But I remembered it because the Tool song, I was enamored by Tool, especially sober, because I remember being at a studio during a session in, yeah. in, the, uh, in the, where the kitchen was, and they were running the TV, and I saw that badass video, which ended up being sober. With the claymation awesome. it's a claymation video that so really cool. stuck okay uh, but for me i was like wow so because i saw it visually i listened to the song I went, oh that's yeah. really cool all right well, that's 1990 how do you do so i decided okay i'll do one of those i set up my cell phone in my very first video you can see it i set up my cell phone i use my cell phone audio i go hi um i'm an old guy here and i'm going to listen to tool and i don't think anybody's going to watch this but here we go so I listened to it and I went, wow, check that out. And listen to what the drummer's doing. And that's, uh, you know, really, it's, you know, it's not hard, but it's unique in this kind of music. And wow, look, is that singer okay? It looks like he's, you know, he's going to burst a vein in his head. But wow. And I just, so I did it. 
three days later, bing, bang, boom, bang, bing. I'm getting emails. I've got thousands of people liking it and leaving comments. I went, okay, I'll try <laughs> another one. And so here I am. And now it's become such a fun thing to do because of the fact that since COVID, uh, outside of writing music for libraries, my pure existence was as a children's hospital entertainer, as a ventriloquist. So COVID shut me down completely. In March of 2020, I was slated to hit the West Coast. I was going to do a 100 hospital tour in the United States wow, in a year. Cool. And I had already started getting funding. And so I was going to start in Washington and drive down through, you know, Oregon and, and down through California and then zip south to Texas, you know, through Arizona and New Mexico. Then yeah. COVID hit and shut me down. Yeah. And so my whole life, and then I just got this rotator cuff surgery. So even though I'm moving my arm fine, what I can't do right now is hold my arm out like this yet. That's too painful Ooh. until my recovery. And I have to hold my puppets like this. Oh, yeah, yeah. So what I'm doing now is, all right, well, I'm an old composer with my decomposer lounge. And since, you know, a lot of people have a hard time believing that I don't know these songs, but bruh, if you listen to my, I just opened up another channel like a week ago. And it's called positive. You're gonna love this. Positive wave W A V writer. <laughs> you know, because I have a little play on words, right? You know, yeah. wave fun. <laughs> but on there, I'm just doing like old man. You know, well, you know, positive ways to do things, not guru-y issue, but you know. But there's two tracks that I put up there that are kind of slacky fusion. One is a video of me writing. I self-shot a music video, and the other one is a drone I took out. Uh, like two weeks ago, I took my drone when it was really pretty outside and I shot some clouds, but put an open slack key oh, kind of right. piece on it. That's the real me. You were talking fusion. about that in the in the EP, you were how to write um, one of your videos. It was a few days ago, maybe last yeah. week. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you were talking right. about that, the drone footage. That's really me. So when I'm going on this journey with the rock and roll and people say, you need to listen to blah, 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 or whatever, I'm like, all right. And it's been wonderful because at least the one thing I'm finding out about the whole metal rock and roll genre, it's, it's an intense fan base. Yeah, it's a very oh, loyal sure. fan base. For sure. But wow, what musicianship. Oh, there's incredible musicianship. It's absolutely. And then I'm listening to Opeth and then Bohemoth. And I just got through doing. Um, <laughs> sugar, crazy shit. But then also Nightwish. And, you know, that have these, you know, hybrid orchestral pieces that are in there. And I just got through doing. Shit, progenies of something or other from a band. Anyhow, another one of you know heavy uh, metal, uh, metal orchestral work. I'm gonna release it in like in a week or two. And I'm like, yeah, I had no idea. I had no idea. So as I start diving into it further and further, listening to these incredible, you know, skills of these musicianship music musicians. Number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, and I'm talking about vocals all the way down. Number two, I still have a huge soft spot for engineering. Yeah. So yeah. I like to kind of glow on engineering on all my reactions. Gotta hate to say that. My reactions, I'm a reactor. <laughs> but that's what it is. Um, I like to glow on the engineering techniques. I like to explain to what I call the pure listener why is the guitar sound so rich from here to here? You know, what does that mean? Instead of all these great guys that have their channels that are, you know, theory musicians teachers and they talk about the technical aspect which is great which is so cool but in general people just you know when i told people about pink floyd and the strings and the horn section and you know i had no idea no it's there 
It's the reason why you don't have any ideas because it is such a wonderful arrangement that embraces you right about here yeah. in your experience because that beautiful melody and that change up in the energy when they sing the hook, but it's there. Yeah. Listen to it, you know, and that's, I'm starting to get burnt though. Oh shit. I said that on, I, I just said that live, didn't I? Or, or that's okay. I'll edit, I'll edit no, 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 no. That's, that's okay. <laughs> the only reason why I'm starting to get burnt though, is because now what's ended up happening is because I'm doing this channel. It's just, there's, there's a lot, like I now have to muster up the energy to do a reaction. Right, right. You know, because right. now I'm listening and I have I have a whole nother channel most people don't know about. It's called World Music Reaction or Review. At least with that, I get a little break, in, you know, creatively and in my reaction because I do cultural music. Uh -huh. You know, I do music that is done by three girls walking around in the country of Georgia that have an iPhone with their one instrument and they walk around singing in these beautiful harmonies just glorious cultural music wow. that we're not made aware of because but they got yeah. two million views three million views four million views there's this guy in indonesia his channel is alip bata he's a great guitar player and he speaks to the people with his musicianship he sits yeah. down in some corner of a room with a little cup of coffee and a cigarette butt burning and stuff and whatever you know and he's just he'll take a hit before he puts it down and then he goes and plays live and it's 4.5 million subscribers wow that's and crazy. millions of views of, of of his videos and it's not there's no competition here but to me what that channel has allowed me to do is to go and investigate hey i just did a great one on a mariachi um artist that was the frank sinatra of the mexican culture and i loved it every bit of it because i that recording studio i used to work at was one of the premier studios of those guys from mexico would come and record at. So I knew all of what we call these low spans. Right. Bandadosos, El Tigre del Norte, and all these other things, you know? And so mariachi music, I was like, yeah, badass, let's do this guitar on <laughs> and, and all this. Except sometimes they get a little ahead of themselves and buy like the MIDI this and the MIDI that, and they go, how do I put that? Got you covered. <laughs> Kila, please. Mahalo. Click, 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 click. You know, so um, at least with that, and that's a smaller channel that has, I think, 30,000. Well, to have 500, subscribers is amazing i don't take that for granted yeah. but compared to a quarter million that's like thirty thousand. but the music i'm listening to there is like this incredible singer uh, his name is dimash or something seven octave range i mean it's mind-numbing wow. it's like it's like the it's like that uh part of um that one movie with uh, bruce willis remember the singer from the alien thing and she had that incredible range in the movie and stuff i mean this guy's voice yeah. is like and there's so much of that out there that we don't yeah. know about so I, at least yeah. with that channel i get to go whoa what can i listen to and i still yeah. give the same exact type of response like you know hey this might be all digital electronic edm style but listen to the separation of the sounds why does that affect you this way what why does that simple arpeggiation move you here mm, mm. you know they use a delay to do this this is called ambience and whatever and i could still do the same thing as musicians in my main channel to you know yeah what be it digital or whatever the case is you know i, I do listen to some of the korean boy bands or whatever and some BTS. of that yes yeah and some of that i don't mind because it reminds me of you know days of comp songs songs with chord changes and and stuff and it just also you know a little part of my soundtrack of life because 
back in the 90s when that was happening. I kind of, oh, yeah, you know, they used to do that back in the day. And they sound really good. And this is what they're doing. Yeah. You know, they're, they're cookie cutting this right now in Korea and Japan and stuff like that. But it's nice to kind of drift in and go, ah, they're killing it. They're killing it in their country. <laughs> you yeah, know, they really, they really are. I, I think for, for me, um, a lot of, um, I hate to shit on, I'm not just going to shit on new music, but I mean, I more, I, I like more the production of stuff on new music than actually some of the songs. I find the songs very repetitive. They use the same chords a lot, you know, like, uh, whereas the production techniques I find really interesting, you know, that the way like they use delays and they use effects on voices. And I love, I think autotune is a great effect when it's used as an effect and not to tune your voice. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So absolutely. I agree with you 100%. And that's been part of the fun of it has been, has been that. And at the same token, I think I'm going to do one on that channel of that song from 50 cent, uh, the birthday one, the one that hit the billion. Oh yeah. I know that one. Yeah. Cool. But the thing is, is that why did that suck in the world? And I have a, I have a, a a thought process of that, that I'm going to share on that video. And it's this dueling baseline. Um, and with this ominous, you know, dun, 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 dun. Dun. So those three notes that are used all the time to cause a certain kind of uh, anticipation, but menacing, but yet they did what Dr. Dre or whoever wrote that with them, whatever. Um, so you have the bass that does that, but then you have an octave higher, what would be cellos doing a counter blinded out in unison, not quite, not quite in unison, but it's a very unique dance that's happening there that creates already the sound of the drone of a mm. drone of a pedaled note. And then you have the rapper starting off that first verse in that tone. One of the very few rappers that have, so he's holding this tone and he sets that. And then it just is like a slingshot and it glides the rest of his, you know, and then of course you get seduced by that bottom end. Yeah. So even though yeah. the song in of itself was, it's a, it's a, I don't want to say a simple song, but you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. It had this huge across the board impact because of what it evoked, as far as I'm concerned. Mm. We're sitting around mm. having, you know, having a pint or something talking about it. That's what that's the conversation I'd be having about it. But that mm. that evokes that kind of cultural Celtic kind of vibe of hanging on to that bagpipe, that one note that just pulls you all the way through. Yeah. And to me, that's one of the most important things in music is is like I told you when I first started with my girls, let's find that one note. Is it yeah. hidden? Yeah. Is it there? Can you hear it? Can we feel it? Can we sense it without even hearing it? And no, there's one note through that whole thing. To me, that's the hidden magic in composition. There's, so, there's something cool in, in, um, and, and something very talented in making something that is repetitive but that you don't get extremely bored of it, you know, because there is some sort of, you know, it, 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 you can do it if you do it well by doing, like, you know, like there's little kind of tricks and all that kind of stuff. And at the same time, I don't know, do you know, do you know a band called Talk Talk? Pardon? Do you know a band called Talk Talk? No. Talk Talk were like this incredible English band. And <clears throat> they, they were in the 80s and they started doing kind of like, you know, synth pop. It was They started as synth pop. But Mark Hollis, the singer, even though they're doing synth pop, he was more interested in like Stravinsky and Miles Davis and si silence, the silence within music. So they went from being this synth pop band and they're on Polydor, EMI, and they made this incredible record called Spirit of Eden, which is like 
they sat in a studio for a year and it was just like they did it in it like the lights were all turned down and it was like they wanted to evoke the sound of like 1968 but it's 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 this incredible like like um wouldn't say ambient record but it doesn't you put that on you go that doesn't sound like anything like it's it's a own it's his own thing like they it, like mark spirit of eden by talk talk is its own thing but I'm, my point is that I'm going off the tangent here. No, no, that's okay. We're, we're, like, we're I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> but but <laughs> I'm saying about repetitiveness, there's a certain way you can do that. And uh, uh, it, You talk, said it talk, was talk, talk? Talk, talk. Yeah, talk, okay. talk. It's in talk, talk. Uh, along with repetitiveness, I think there's a great way you can utilize silence. And uh, I think silence is such a talk, talk did that. And Miles Davis and, and other jazz guys, I think, did silence, especially that in a silent way. Miles Davis record, you know, I think silence is such a underused thing in music because you can put a silence before a note and it will change the way the next note comes or you can put it after the note, you know, and I think it's such a not utilized thing that we do enough in music, I think. Sometimes I wish I could put silence before my thought process. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that all the time for me too, dude. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, you know, I get me a cup of coffee with some vanilla nut creamer and I'm just, woo, I'm a goner, you know. But uh, no, you're, you're right about silence. I'd love to see you react to a Talk Talk song. Cause I yeah, think I just wrote I'd, it down. I just wrote uh, it down. So I'm uh, uh, What was the one that you wanted me to check out? Oh, geez, there's so many of them. Um... Ah, uh, let me see. Well, you don't you don't have to tell me right this second. You can email since you have my email. Go ahead and just email yeah, me yeah. one that you would like for me to check yeah. out. I'm more than happy to. Yeah, I think one off color of the spring for sure because it's got yeah. like it's 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 this amazing, just yeah. This you love it, man. I'd say I I'm not saying you will love it, but I just think the sound of it is just. I'm always beautiful. I'm into all kinds of stuff. You'd be surprised. I could sit there and I can lean into a chord of you know four or five changes for six, seven minutes and find joy yeah. in that. As long as it moves me, I just have to be moved by it, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah. I know I've been rambling on like, like a mother and I don't know if you got <laughs> any points, like questions. You no, man, it's, it's great. I think that's, that's what a bite on podcast is about. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not the best interviewer ever. I'm kind of, my own thing is I'm just having conversations. I like, you know, I like get, having conversations with people because you can always, you know, you just learn stuff from other people and there's, there's something yeah, cool but I've been doing that. all the talking and haven't asked one question about you. Nah, man, there's not much to tell about me. <laughs> what are you talking about? about? You're passionate yeah. about what you do. You're, you know, you've been writing music. I mean, you, you know, that's. Uh... <laughs> no, I'm, 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 I'm prob, I'm pretty boring. I just do music, bit of surfing, watch UFC. That's pretty. Wait, much wait, wait! Me. You surf as well? Oh yeah, yeah. I live beside the sea. Oh my goodness. So, okay. Now we're going to have a quick conversation about you. So where do you live? Um, so uh, you live in Ireland, I take it. Yeah, I live in Sligo. I live in this tiny little village called Inniscrone. Like I literally can walk to the beach at my board. How, okay. So now we're talking what? Five mil wet, uh, wetsuits? Yeah. 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 And yeah. the booties and the glove and the hat. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't do the hat because it just, it's so. I just hate the hat because my long hair. Even if I tie it up, it gets right. Uh, I, I do get a total brain freeze though without the hat. But, <laughs> I can imagine. But, what about yeah. um, um, so what is it? A point break, reef break, beach break? What do you got out there? Beach, beach. It's it's, so it's, it's just it's, little it's, snappy sandbars. Yeah, we get like, it, it, we get uh, the swell community. They're not huge waves. 
You may never get like these ginormous ones. Maybe down in Eski and Clare, they're like massive. But when we get a nice swell, it's it's beautiful because it's just like nice break. That must swell. be a challenge having uh, getting boards out there, no? No, it's it's grand. It's grand. Ireland's a huge surf place. It's a massive surf. Oh, place. oh, I see. So it's 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 a surf community. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah you know, yeah, I got yeah. nothing. I got nothing to complain about. I, cold winter's day here. The water's only seventy two. And uh, you know, I tell people, well, you know, we do have seasons here because one season you wear sunblock fifty, and the other one you wear sunblock twenty five. I know, I know, I know, I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Killing me here, brother. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I live in this little stretch. Uh, it's called a Seven Mile Miracle. Right. So from this side, I've got um, Haleiwa and, you know, where they do the Triple Crown. And mm-hmm. then Waimea is just a, about a mile that way. And then, uh, you know, Pipeline and all that's on the other side. But at my age, you know, I can't surf for two reasons, obviously. I mean, I can't surf... Um, Gummies, pipeline, rock piles, all, just because it's packed, number one. And number two, the, you know, the hold downs are still pretty, you know, you can still get, you know, ground up and, you know, pull on garage sale out there and starfish on a reef. But, you know, um, the recovery time as you get older is just a little bit beefier and stuff. And your so waves are huge. I like to surf. I'm sorry, you, get, you get big waves, like, you know, to, you know we're, big, we're not. Big doesn't even begin to, there yeah. are days out here where I can, I go down to my friend's house, I walk down, go to the, you know, get to my friend's house. But yeah, yeah but now the places, yeah, the places where I surf now, I mean, I'll still paddle out. I max out now at maybe 10, 12 foot paces. I mean, I, I know that's still big, but uh only because where i surf now whereas like pipeline and a lot of these places break uh in that section on the other side of waimea in that section break a little closer to shore until it gets really giant and you have second third reef and bigger stuff right whereas where i'm surfing sometimes i've got to you know maybe paddle out you know a couple hundred yards you know and i mean the waves are still powerful but they are a lot more forgiving but then if you lose your board you're doing you're swimming to the nation you're just you know right you, you, you got to put up with that. And I'm still in good shape. Yeah. But each year that goes by and the older I get, the less risks I want to take. I mean, I got two daughters, eight grandkids and whatever. And, you know, so now yeah. when it gets that big, there are places actually on the North Shore that I can sit there and check out and go, okay, well, it's 20 feet here, but over here it's six to eight foot manageable. And, okay. you know, and now plus I've also, I went 20 years ago, I went from shortboards and uh, high performance longboards. Okay. So those are those like, you know, nine foot potato chips. So they're, they're nine foot, but they're like two and five eighths yeah. thick. They have a nice bit of rocker through it. I have mine shaped where I have more of a blunty nose. Uh. And so that I could still take off. And if I've, if I've got to get speed, I can still hit my sweet spot and pump, you know, choose my line and pump through sections. And even if I'm going to go pull in and get barreled or something like that, but at the same token, I can step on my tail. If the shoulder flattens out, I could just step on my tail, stall it up, and then walk around a little bit and have my espresso at the end of the nose. <laughs> <laughs> nice, man. Yeah, they're not, they're so, not, so that's, that's they're not huge here. They're not huge where I am. I mean, the odd day you get like a uh, big and sometimes it's messy, you know, but it's quite easy. Like, even if you get like, you know, you're not going to get stuck out in the sea. Uh, some, right. people, some people do when they don't really know because there's, there's quite a rip. It, the beach, the way it is, it's like there's a beach. I'll send you a picture later. There's like a beach, but then there's the other side of the beach. There's like two, it's like two separate, but there's a really shitty rip uh, at the kind of start of the beach. And a lot is there of a river mouth anywhere there? 
No, not that I. Well, maybe the uh, River Moy goes. There's a River Moy kind of comes at the away at the end, but there's there's just a shitty rip, and uh, a lot of people that wouldn't be used to it would get stuck, and sometimes the uh, you know the 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 rescue the cross would have to come and right. rescue them. It happens. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, look, yeah. I, we still have people out here that get pulled. You know that have been legacy surfers and stuff. You know, well nowadays though, I mean, you know, we got the jet skis and all that stuff, and the tow in and the whole thing. You know, right. and you know, once it gets over twenty five feet and it's twenty five to fifty feet, anybody who's out in the water now, you're out, you're on your own, buddy. You know, yeah, I you know, pass you, you, on you that. Put a, put a tracer on your vest. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love the we... balls to do that though. Some of the like those guys, I'm like, dude, you are living life. <laughs> I've never. Ever, 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 ever wanted to paddle out in second reef pipe, YMA, nothing. I, was I wouldn't like, die there. I wouldn't die there. I'm, 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 I'm the little noodly guy that just loves snapping turns, pulling in tight barrels and stuff. But when it gets really big, I'm not charged up to say, I want to go, you know, run that mountain out there. I just, yeah, it just doesn't, I'm not, my personality is not that aggressive in that. I'm more like, Chew, all right. Chew. <laughs> yeah, man, I'm the same. I just like the kind of going out and um, the kind of peace of just kind of sitting out there and catching a few waves and chatting with my friend if I'm out with my friend, you know, that vibe. For the win. Yeah, there's just, there's just so, the not, nothing cooler. There's nothing cooler. I just love that feeling. Especially, you know, not that we get great weather over here, but the odd time we get these lovely sunsets. Oh, it's just so beautiful if you're just sitting there and you're bored. It's like, oh, man, this is... Yeah, that's glory. And we get to experience that. I mean, you and I both being surfer composers. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, really, seriously, if you think about it, you know, <clears throat> that, that, except for my surfing was more powerful than the desire to compose. Right. And so that's, that's my life story. If that was to be put on my tombstone, that's what I would say. You know, you a surfer and first, you a surfer, surfer first, first, always. Really? Because All it was right. a peace of mind of who I was as a human that I found early in life, what oh, made okay. me happy. Okay. And I didn't see the allure of the rock and roll world as something that made me happy. I saw my friends all being successful and, and being in their bands and the girls and the nightlife and the drugs and the fun and all that sort of stuff. For me, I was like, no, I'm not going to watch you play tonight, man, because I, I want to be up at 530 in the morning because there's a new swell coming in. I want to be <laughs> at this one spot where I know it's going to hit, you know. Well, fuck you, man. <laughs> and then I was never, you know, I, I didn't have my first drink of alcohol truly until I was like 21 or 22. So I wasn't into going out and partying. Right. I didn't go out to parties because I wanted to surf the next morning. I wanted, you know, surf. And even if it was a shitty day, and if I wanted to chase away from Ventura to Huntington Beach and just make a whole day of chasing surf to find just that one wave I wanted to surf, I just get baked, get in my car and just, you know, go look for the next wave. I could care less. And then Sweet music man. was just this thing that I was very grateful. Now I can say that, but back then I had no idea. It's like, I get bored, pick up the guitar, pick up the violin, pick up the drums or do this, you know, and have this environment. But it, it saved my life. So music did save my life as yeah. far as, oh, oh, shit, I got to make a living. Yeah. What can I do? Oh, 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 fuck. okay, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. <laughs> yeah. But remember, like I said earlier, I was already working at a surfboard factory. That's even cool. even oh, even while I was working in the recording studio, I had to tell Tim, Tim, I got this killer job. I had a bail for a while. But when George fired me, which he did a couple of times, um, <laughs> <laughs> I'd always go back and work for Tim. Yeah. And so what a great job I had, except later it wreaked havoc on my lungs because of the polyurethane resins and the sanding and all the oh, garbage. You yeah, know? yeah. But, you know, 
fuck, I'm rubbing out surfboards and sanding surfboards and stuff like that and making money and I'm going surfing. That's and then cool. he's a friend of mine. And when I ever did this, I say, hey, listen, man, I want to try a new board. Okay, come on, let's, let's go. Okay, let's go shape you one. <laughs> I go, bro, the rails are lopsided. Who cares? How much did you pay for it? Yeah, you're right. Okay. <laughs> you know, so that was everything. And yeah. then slowly as my life transitioned, that lifestyle of being that young surfer, since I wasn't trying to be a pro or anything, it was just the lifestyle choice, mm-hmm. transitioned into, oh, shit, I got I to adult now. <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden, oh, oh, okay, well, Oh yeah. I'm an engineer now. Oh, this is great. Oh, this is fun. And then my first publishing deal in the eighties came. That was fun. Worked with some great, you know, producers some legacy old engineers from back in the fifties and sixties and seventies. And, and then finally two years with my father hanging out and doing some more stuff. And then my first few jobs started coming in and I'm a composer and I'm mahalo, you know, for the universe going, okay, well, lucky on the transition. But what I was saying earlier about once I'm done with my job, and that checks in. I'm like, oh, what's the tide doing? What's the surf doing? How are you doing over there? What board am I taking out? What outside of the island am I going to? I'm going to call up my friends. They're coming out. Let's go surfing and stuff, you know? And then I'd have to go, oh, shit, man. I just got a phone call from publisher. I got to work for like three weeks, so I can't see you guys. I got to do this, but I'll be back. Yeah, and that's, that, that's cool, though, man. That, that's, that there's, I'd love to be kind of like that. I think that there's something very, you know, you can you can focus on one thing and then you can just do your other thing. There's something cool about that. I think that it, a lot of my problems in life probably has not been that, that I, I'm, very <laughs> I'm too obsessive on, on stuff, you know? So it's just like, I get too, you know, into it and it's not good. Well, I mean, I brought my music out in the water every day. Yeah. And what I mean by that is, is even though I wouldn't pick up my instruments and stuff, I was always writing music in my head. Well, yeah. You know, you so could, I, I was scoring my own session. Yeah. 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 I get you. I get you. <laughs> You know, I'd see a giant wave coming and my friends would paddle away from me because I'd be like, <laughs> you know, I'd be, or my, I have, I'm going to have to bail soon, but I do want to tell you no, no, last because cool. it's a surfer. It's a great surfer story with music. Okay. So um, where I lived in, in California was above Malibu. Oh, so I always surf third point and stuff. This is the seventies and the eighties and stuff. Series of little points and stuff that are tucked away inside the North LA County area. and. So third point was always just the gruelingest crowd of all these great pros. And they were buddies of mine, but I didn't want to sit in the pecking order. There was a little inside section back in the day called Kitty Bowl. That's really competitive. I would kind of drift over to where there was, believe it or not, there were some lefts back in the day when the river mouth used to cut out there. And there'd be some lefts that would peel off the peak from the middle. So I'd be just humbly hitting there, but it's humbly sitting there. But, you know, I get baked, paddle out and... Okay. Well, a couple of years later, my friends would go, bro, we thought you were just completely out of your mind. I go, why? Because you'd be out there by yourself going, you know, like, stay away from him. He's talking to himself. He's sticking to himself. He's like, you know, and I would turn over and look at my friends and be kind of like, hey, so get you in. And I'd be like, bro, or in my mind, I'd be having a little symphonic, you know. Yeah. Yeah. thing happening so truth be told even though i shut off my gear and i don't pick up this that yeah. never stops yeah. yeah you know and so i i did take my music with me but my priorities were all fucked up if you just want to look at it that way it was like you know that's why dad was so upset with me when i split mm. was because 
he had gotten me drum lessons with like Ralph Humphrey, Joe Percaro Sr. Uh, you know, narrative Michael Walden would drop by and go, oh, dude, here, listen to this. Let me show you what I did on this album with Jeff Beck or let me, you know, whatever. I'd be like, oh, cool. Okay, I got to go surf. <laughs> or my buddy just dropped off a baggie of some new buds. I'm going to go test that. I'll see you guys. <laughs> you know, yeah. my priorities were all gone. You know, they weren't that way. So when that time came where I just was meandering through life in my late teens, and I said, Dad, I'm just going to go visit mom in Hawaii. He was just, he was livid because he saw that I was able to play these instruments and yeah. do what I did. You know, I was listening to like, regardless, Neil Peart and all these great drum, drummers, but then I was listening to deeper drummers and, you know, practicing constantly. It took three years of classical guitar and, and doing my thing, but I was like, okay, I'm done. You yeah. know, because the, the classical guitar lessons to me were like that thing that my parents made me do. I got good enough, played, did my recitals. I'm done. Violin. But it's, I'm done. You, you yeah, know, no, but I'm that's done. that's youth. You know, you you know, we we learn so much as we get older, man. Like I, you know, I look back and go, oh my god, I was such a fuck up on things. You know, we it, it's it's just, and you can no one in the god's world is going to tell a 19 or an 18 year old, oh, when you're older, you're like, fuck you, dude. You know, because we think we know everything about everything at that stage. And yeah, it's you, all, it's only, told. yeah, yeah, you that's, know, it's only it as you get older. And then, yeah. and now I look back in hindsight and I don't have regrets. Yeah, could I have been something else if I would have said, I want to be a drummer or a guitar player or a singer or I mm. want to be a composer? Yes, mm. it was all right there for me to take firsthand, but I didn't want it, I didn't know it, I didn't feel it, you know. So I can look back and but I can, but but I also look at it this way. Whatever the universe, whatever gods we believe in, or however that fluid of you know motion of, of beliefs that we're connected to, whatever that's going to be, um, I do know that the journey that I was put on has brought me to here, talking to you, doing what I do with the kids. Very fortunate that I was able to make a living out of music, though meek. You know, I never bought a house like my dad did and all that, but I raised the girls, eight grandkids, live in Hawaii, and. You know, for me, a glorious day is sardines with onions and tomatoes in my toy. <laughs> then I go out to the beach and I just go surf. You know, it's not yeah. blue lobster and caviar and stuff. It's what makes me happy. Enough, you know, money for guitar strings, bass strings, and, and the life at large that I love to live, which is very actually small and minuscule. Mm. Yeah. And I've been very blessed. And, and through my whole career, there's times where I can look back and say, Man, there's some badass voicings. Where did I? Oh, that's right. I did three years of choir in high school. <laughs> yeah. Imagine Jeff Spicoli. You remember Fast Times in Richmond High? By yeah. chance, that movie. Yes. Imagine Jeff Spicoli taking three years of choir. <laughs> there's pictures of me in my high school pic. You know, like in '78, '70, my hair down to here, fully baked, but I was his first tenor. Because what happened was I was so stoned in my tenth grade when I went to high school. It was supposed to be registration day. I was so big that I, I was like, oh, dude, that was day before yesterday. So I go and I go, oh, I got to register, man. I got to go in there and go. And, you know, the counselor's like, okay, well, you have to have an elective in fourth period back then in, or in the American school system. An elective would be wood shop, uh, metal, you know, okay. something vocational. Right. I go, okay, let me do plastics. I'm thinking to myself, I can make a bomb, <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. and <laughs> see, and um just sorry, George, there's nothing available. There's only choir. And I was like full Garfield face. I was like, what? <laughs> and then I was like, well, 
okay. You know, my first exposure to music was acapella music from that my dad used to play me and my, my grandfather's choral music when I was like three or four years old. Like, well, yeah. okay, I know what choir is, no problem. I go in there, she runs me through the scales and she goes, hmm, George, you have a little bit of a vibrato there and you're holding your note well. Well, I'm going to put you here. And I end up spending three years in the most glorious education subconsciously yeah. going through major choral pieces in that class and soaking up all these voicings and these harmonies that, I've, that to this day I still apply. Yeah, that's cool. So that man. to me is like, Mr. Universe, dude, thank you. That was so cool. <laughs> You know, it's, isn't it odd though the way like everyone's you know when you talk to you know when I've talked to different composers their kind of education of music I don't I don't mean an actual an education you know like just through your own way of learning like I used to study not study but you know I I love the Beach Boys like I fucking love the Beach Boys and when I was like sixteen or seventeen when I got into the Beach Boys I would just like learn all the different harmonies. Like that's how I kind of, you know, I'd sit down and listen to like oh, Brian's part and Carl's part and all that. And that stuff, you know, it makes you better what you do, what you're doing. But it's such a, it's such a, you know, we all have kind of these different ways of learning that. And at the time it, you're doing it because you like, it's just fun. But, but it, it, uh, it's such an educational way and it, it really informs your own music of how you kind of, learn harmony and stuff like that because I, th I think Brian was such a genius at just like he was wonderful one of a kind things. oh man just amazing one of a kind unmatched great songwriters great chat you know choices and in, in uh, you know really pushing scales and chord changes to the limits and, and voicings and stuff it, at the time yeah. was unheard of and hence the Beach Boys you know and, and for us we become who we become as composers standing on the shoulders of giants, you know, who have we listened to in the past and where have we picked up, you know, a series. I hear my father's work and a lot of my work. I was listening like, to one of your pieces today. I, I, man, it was like a, I think there was a Spanish name. It was, it was like kind of, uh, it was online. I'm terrible. Remember oh, was it on my little composer real weirdness thing that I put up a long time ago? Or Yeah, it, yeah, it was, it was, a, it was, it had a picture of like, it was like an art deco guy playing a trumpet at one point. I had no, I had no. Uh, oh, 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 yeah. That was my dad's. Uh, um, it was like a very 19, cool, sultry. 1976, maybe. I think. Was yeah, that was my dad's written. song. That was um, off of one of my uncle's albums, the Caldera. That one was right. called Triste. Yeah. Yeah, amazing, man. It was incredible. Like, and like that, even and the, that the was, recording is beautiful as well. I, I know. And that was what my life was surrounded with constantly, you know. So when I, I, I listen to some pieces that I write, sometimes I'll go, I'll pull and I'll go, oh, yeah, that's where I got that from. I got that from that run when he did the string section for Liz's story. Or because I used to read with him all the time. That used to be really fun. I used to sit back and dad would come back from sessions before he'd go to a session. And I'd go look, you yeah. know, play around with his master score and I'd sit back and be tripping and just going, you know, without being in front of the orchestra, I just read the charts. I go, fuck, this is gonna be badass. <laughs> you know, and then I only hear it. I only hear it because dad never left a session with a tape, only when the album released, because that that was the casualness of my dad. All right, send me an album when you're done. Wow. That's okay. Cool, man. Sure. That's you cool. know. So, so you, you're like a sponge, though. Like you just you're you know you you're probably not conscious of how much you're absorbing constantly being around someone like that. I had no idea. My my bedroom for about twelve years of my most probably impressionable years as a composer. My bedroom shared a wall with his studio, so I'd go to sleep at nighttime, and I hear him plunking out arrangements on his piano. 
Oh. And I'd fall asleep to listening to him because those are the days, right? No mock-ups like we have to do now. We can call up our plugins and we can play our strings and do that. No. Sitting down, note by note, listening to a cassette tape. He stop, start, stop, start, writing his strings. But I could hear him plunking out the parts on the piano. And then he'd play them all in the kind of a block chord configuration. Right. And then I'd hear, and then I'd go to sleep to that every night or whenever he was working. So that's I'm getting programmed and I had no idea, only as a old composer still scratching my head going, where did I get this from? Like, how is it that, you know, the gift I think that was given to me through that process that made me this, what I would consider average milled, average milling out music composer that I've made my life, you know, jingles, commercials, library, no big fanfare films. I've done about maybe a dozen films, but all of them has either been from the early late eighties, straight to video all the way to, well, the film I did a couple of years ago, did fairly well. I had one who went to Cannes or something like that, but just this right down the middle. But I think my success, I think, if I could say, of being that guy was because of so many different types of influences that when somebody says anything from, can you do something time period quartet or quintet from this and, and add some of your own sparks? And I already in my mind kind of have that, oh yeah, yeah, I got that, but maybe I'll do a little research to catch up to it. Mm-hmm. Or if they say, can you do some dubstep and EDM stuff? And I went, Oh, wait, yeah, dubstep, that's that whoa, 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 kind of bass <laughs> use and that kind of thing. And so I'll do a little homework just yeah. so I get the, the correct sounds. But then I shut that off and then I hit record and write my own bit. So I think to me, if I look back in my life as a composer and my career, it's more like I have been very, very, very lucky to have been influenced in so many different styles. I never took myself seriously as a composer. I think that was part of the magic because I have fucking zero confidence in my skills but <laughs> i'm i'm just me i'm vulnerable the vulnerable vault just blew open zero yeah. fucking confidence in my skills as a musician as a composer why do you why do you and think I, that is why i do you think, think that is? Be, i don't know i don't know nobody ever told me i sucked nobody i mean what you know from an outside thing mm-hmm. nobody ever told me that i sucked you're bad you shouldn't do this you should be you know something else in life nobody I've always, my father and my uncle, when I started writing music and playing around in the studio in the seventies, you know, because the tools were there and I'd write something and they go, what's this? I go, I don't know. I was just listening. He goes, and I took an old TR-808 and did something in 4.4 and then I wrote something in 7.8 and I had no idea that's what I did because I wasn't reading, writing necessarily on the capacity. Mm -hmm. I just recorded this and then on the guitar I went against the four four and my uncle's like okay book out Mario it was a fun thing nobody ever held me down yeah but if I have to look back at this and if I had maybe I don't there is no blame for that I am mm-hmm. who I am I accept mm-hmm. it these are my things mm-hmm. is to the very last session my father did and in the last 10 years, I would drive with him to the, to the sessions because it was a long haul from North L.A. County to Capitol or whatever. Right, and he right. was getting older, so we would drive together. He would do a job sometimes. I'd fly in from Hawaii just to work with him on the gig and sit side saddle and work together, whatever. Is to the very last day I was with him on a session coming back, he would sit there and go, God, that was so much fun. I, I, I guess people really like what I do. You know, and yeah. it, it, it wasn't that my dad didn't have confidence. He just didn't 
um, it, it was just not a part of his <sighs> emotional support, maybe, for being the composer that he was and the arranger that he was. Mm-hmm. You know, he was solid man, took care of the house, you know, whatever. But when it came to the artwork and the craft, to sit there and go, fuck, people still, me. <laughs> this morning, I got a phone call from the publisher. You're still calling me? <laughs> like, you still have confidence in what I'm doing? I don't. Yeah. Yeah. You know, even though I can do the job and I can play a little guitar, I can play a little bass, I can play a little piano. I'm like, that's why to this very day, I've started writing some stuff because of this, this journey on the channel. Mm-hmm. And I play it for a couple people, like here's a little idea, something I was dicking around with. Mm. I'm hitting the marks, but I don't have confidence to finish it. What I've written three pieces what? in more of a kind of a chuggy metal, progressive, heavy, pliny type vibe-ish and stuff. But I yeah. feel the only reason why I'm doing it is because maybe I'm trying to still show people that I'm an okay musician. Yeah. But Not because really, I'm creating a piece you, of work. But do you really feel like that? Or do you, you know, because we all have... You know, our minds are almost, and I'm getting very philosophical here, but you know, within our minds, sometimes it's like there's multiple people within ourselves. And sometimes we can, t- <laughs> right, so, you yeah. know, sometimes we can, sometimes we have to find, we have to just let that thought go, okay, and not listen to it. And then you almost find your real thoughts. That That's what I've learned. Very, from- I'm very in line with that thinking. There is that. There are those. Why do you think I'm a fucking ventriloquist? I can get all those voices <laughs> out of my head. That explains everything. I've, I've got the dinosaurs. I've got the, you know, the ones that I use for the hospitals. Now I can go in and I can light up any voice I yeah. want and just say to myself, you're just practicing, dude. You're just practicing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but no, there, there is. I mean, you'll find I, I have found commiserating styled v, uh, VDs, videos um, with other musicians who have kind of the same, mm-hmm. you know, and let's face it too. I've watched Hans Zimmer's videos and some other famous composers that talk about the anxiety of confidence in composing music for a film. Them, them, award-winning composers get the new job and they all of a sudden they, they do go into a phase of like, because the one thing about our profession that's completely unique, mm-hmm. whether you're the colorist, the lighting guy, the DP and all that sort of stuff, people rallying around, you've got things happening. Composer, director does the spotting session, maybe gives you a nice lead, like sometimes for, for me, because I haven't made it into the big leagues, Mm-hmm. So it isn't that's like, oh, let's just hire Jeeves, let him do whatever he wants. Let's just tell him what it is. It's not, no, a lot of times they'll say, hey, can you do something kind of like the Goodwill Hunting Titanic kind of vibe? So they give you a seeing eye dog, at least to do compose uh, composition. But mm-hmm. even on this last video that I did, uh, movie that I did, it was a uh, Hollywood-based production about India. But current uh, pop culture, it had to do with Buddha and um, uh, a gay couple, female couple. It was really kind of a fun lighthearted mm-hmm. my compositions were very very lighthearted and very fun but still yet in the scenes that required campy benny hill style comedy kind of stuff you know and i thought okay that's simple let me go right for my pizzicato strings let me go right for these things right that are like you know the this is okay mm-hmm. and yet still the anxiety of finishing it and sending it to them and then waiting to hear if they like it you know what i mean that whole thing and nobody's around us saying yeah no, uh, it's just you your daw this, some notes, and you could spend two or three hours doing something. And in that nanosecond, they got, nah, that didn't work. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, that's one of the things I'm going to talk about in my videos uh, with composers is how to keep your ego out of composition. You know, and there is no real how to as much as there is, is how to be made aware that your ego might be interacting with a composition. So we do what we do because we love what we do. Yeah. But I can't I, tell you how many times I've written a score or something or done some stuff. Go, oh, this is right. And they go, yeah, no. We're yeah. just looking for like maybe the ukulele with just, uh, <laughs> you know, with just maybe uh, a cello. Oh, but the no, sorry, it doesn't work. And then you go, fuck, man, that's all you wanted. Okay, there you go. And they're happy. And you go, fuck. Does that affect you bad? Or would would you be able to just push it off? Would you have just it did push at the it beginning. Yeah. In the early 90s, when I got my first jobs in animation and stuff like that, it did. Yeah. Because animation is difficult composition. I can imagine. I you can know, imagine. everything is yeah. blinking eyes get, you know, the marimbas and this gets this and this gets this and da 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 you know, very much that, you know, uh, you really had to be keenly aware of it. And, um, but there's times where I would go into sessions. I got a guy like Joe Cipriano, one of the most massively talented, ins- uh, uh, you know, wind uh, instrument performers that could pick up the oboe, clarinet, bassoon, horn, whatever you want him to do. <laughs> but it was great because he can come into a session. And if you had solo oboe, clarinet you didn't have to hire one of each how brilliant joe would be right there and he'd have this arsenal of you know his his instruments and and uh i'll do a line with the clarinet and then there's this one line with the novo he'll double it and then done you know but you do put your heart in your work yeah you do have pride in saying i am a composer i was just hired to do work somebody has belief in me that i can do this and make their project just that much better yeah you know and so you go in with that, but at the same token, I found early on, I was like, oh, I'm scared to death to turn in my shit. Now I just know what the process is. The process is I am hired to do my job because they have mm-hmm. faith that I can handle the stress of it <laughs> and I can follow uh, their direction. Mm. And then maybe give me a little leverage to create a little more on top of it. Well, I know you only asked for this and this, but I decided maybe I put this little thing in here. Oh, that sounds great. Love that. No, I don't like that. It adds a weird, you know, and then all of a sudden (laughs) you just find yourself as a vendor of service and it is your job to give the director, producer, supervisor, whatever, what they need and make that work. When my dad did morphine for Michael Jackson, it's pads on a synth. but. And it wasn't a big orchestral, you know, when my dad's used to conducting these things. He did the same 100% of energy for Michael on that arrangement as he would have when he did, you know, when he orchestrated one of, you know, let's say for Lover Country, you know, the the, the Andy Garcia movie or, or, um, uh, I don't know, whatever. And he has a huge orchestra. So whether he was working for the huge orchestra and writing a massive piece, or my dad just happened, Michael comes over, or my dad went to Michael's place and and, and he laid out some pads and, and then Michael just goes, shit, I just love this. My dad's like, cool beans, all right. So my dad's ego was not like, well, but I'm a composer and I should be doing No, he's like, are you happy? Do you like what I did? Thank you very much. 
Mm. Checks in the mail. See you later. You know, that's a that, good way to be. Well, but be. it takes time. Yeah, you've got to go through enough of that. You have yeah. to understand where your value is as a composer, as a creator, and what you can do compared to what it is that you need to accomplish for the person who needs something from you. You and I both know there are musicians right now that are in bands that are playing a dozen chords, blues, pentatonic solos, <laughs> and stuff. Yeah. But when they go home. You know, they just jazz monster musicians, or they can play Coltrane and or listen to Oscar Peterson and know the melody, and they oh, time to go to work. Bear down, fire, and that's not. I'm not. You know, that's not a backhanded compliment. That's no. a true compliment of what the success of in my world of a musician or a composer who is going to be a professional has to be aware of. Mm -hmm. doesn't mean it's easy to achieve you just have to be aware of that you know that this is what they want and this is what i will give them and because i'm getting a paycheck for it i can go back now into the smoky little bar where people don't know me when i pull my hair up in a hat and i can be playing you know fusion jazz somewhere because i love to do that yeah and then oh it's time to make more money i gotta go out on the road and now i'm gonna let my hair down and play you know and we know musicians like that yeah yeah. You know, so. Any, hey, Paul, I'm so sorry, but I have to dig out because it's a little after twelve thirty. Hey, no worry, no worries, brother, man. I really enjoyed it. Sorry but, if I kept. Sorry if I kept you too long. Sorry, man. No, no, we can do this for another two hours. It's just, <laughs> I have a family thing. I mean, I mean, we're composers. We can and surfers. God forbid. Jeez. You're probably a better surfer than me. Let's. I'm just gonna put that. Yeah, out there. So well, I'd say, guys, say I, I can. I I, I. I can say that's probably true. Well, I will say one thing. <laughs> Where I have the pride and confidence is my surfing. I mean, I'm not a ripper, but when I paddle out, I feel good about being in the water. I know what I can do more so than my music. Trust me. <laughs> All right, Paul, listen. Man, hey, really uh, enjoyed all, this. First of all, it was a pleasure talking to you. I hope this you isn't too, the last conversation. We could oh, no, do I'd love this. to do it again. Yeah, man. Yeah, cool. I would love to just talk story and just chat and whatever. And, sure, um, man. Really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, and, and just and just on the off chance that you decide to check um, that new channel I just popped open, that positive yeah. wave. Give me the writer. link. Give me the link there again. Yeah, I'll just send for it for everyone you listening. <laughs> oh, that's right, you're still recording. See, oh, I, 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 I'm picking your pair, dude. I'm picking your pair, man. I'm leading you in. Space. No, that. Okay, fine. I'll, I'll send you the link. But for those who are listening, it's on YouTube, and it's called Positive Wave Writer. Yeah. And but then you'll see where the other side of me really lives and what cool, really man. makes me happy as far as composer and arranger what i like to write just for myself yeah kind of a vibe you know so. yeah man that'd be great well thank you so much man i really appreciate it Sorry yeah and let's not make long. this the last time for sure man for sure for sure I, i'm also <laughs> looking forward to at some point hearing you doing a talk talk uh reaction hopefully that'll, that'll happen <laughs> See that's that's how you get in with the decomposer here. You do a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brother. Have a all lovely right, Paul, day. Take care of yourself. You, take and, care. And surf well. Surf well. Surf hard. And take it all in, my brother. You too, my man. You too, my man. Take care, brother. All right. Aloha. Yeah, aloha. <laughs> <laughs>